Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare you're listening to fox sports radio you know in the words of friedrich nietzsche out of chaos comes order or not Hold that thought. On that note, I'm Bernie Frado. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Tyrac.com studios. Tyrac.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. Tyrac.com, the way tire buying should be. Tonight, we tackle it all. We got a fun four hours. Fezzik joins us in 15 minutes. Mark Medina at midnight. But of course, in 13 hours, perhaps the most competitive matchups in the NFL Conference Championship games since 1997. We're going to get to all of that. And you know why? Because sports are entertainment. But they're more than that. They're a shared experience. As such, well, people want to talk about them. So you've come to the right place. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. Welcome into the Bernie Fratto Show. We'll take you all the way to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. As they say in Paul Allen, Minnesota, it's going to be lit. The Dallas Cowboys continue to grace the airwaves, so I'm going to have some fun. Thank you, Dallas. Thank you, Dak. Thank you, Mike McCarthy. I told you I let them off the hook last month, knowing full well they would surely be another goofball sequel. And by the way, don't call me Shirley. And right on cue, right on brand, it happened at the end of the game last week, knocking Dallas out of the playoffs once again in the most unceremonious way that only Dak and Mike McCarthy and company could do. Unless, of course, you're the 1962 Mets. So let's have a little fun. Let's look back in history and draw a parallel. The, the lovable 1962 Mets, the expansion team, were coached by the legendary, or managed, excuse me, coaches football, managers baseball, managed by the legendary Casey Stengel. They won 40 games that year. And they had players like the inimitable Elia Chacon, a young, defensive-minded shortstop who had some issues. Every time there was a pop fly in the outfield, he would chase it down and run into the outfielder no matter what. Center fielder was Jake, Jim Hickman. Can't make this stuff up, folks. It happened multiple times. Hickman camps under a fly ball, says, I got it, I got it. Ilya Chacon, he's hell-bound from leather to catch the ball himself. He runs into Jim Hickman, bowling pins, the ball drops. Finally, Hickman's teammate Joe Christopher says, you know, he doesn't speak English, so why don't you say, YOLO TENGO, YOLO TENGO, then he'll get out of your way. 
Sure enough, can't make this stuff up. A couple of games later, pop fly into left center field. Jim Hickman camps under it. Yolo Tango, Yolo Tango. Sure enough, Elia Chacon, the shortstop, peels away. Hickman goes to field, catch the ball, gets slammed, knocked to the turf by the left fielder, Frank Thomas, who didn't speak Spanish. There you have it, folks. Good night. You've been a great audience. Don't forget to try the semi-bowl and the spaghetti. Unless we're not done with the Cowboys. Before we get to Sunday's games, I'm going to pause. And yes, I'm going to consider the absurdity of Dallas's final drive during their loss to San Francisco. They got the ball back, down seven with 45 seconds to play, no timeouts. Dak Prescott nearly takes a safety. Dalton Schultz catches a pass and fails to get out of bounds properly, not once, but twice. And by the way, whatever the hell that last play was, when Ezekiel Elliott lined up at center with nine other players split wide? Okay, are you kidding me? So let's have a little fun here with this. Because with 14 seconds left, and again, deja vu all over again, Yogi. Sorry, I'm going to spend the next few minutes torching the Cowboys. One last, one last look back at the final play of the 2023 playoffs for the or 2022 playoffs for the Dallas Cowboys and their fandom. They've got it coming. You're going to get it. But before we get to the play, the 14 seconds left on the clock, and the you know the Cowboys pull a quarterback draw. Dak, Dak Prescott pulls too far. Remember that was last year. 14 seconds left on the clock in the wild card game. Cowboys call a quarterback draw. Dak Prescott took it too far. The entire offensive line collectively forgot. You can't. You can't spot the ball yourselves. you got to hand it to the referee. The clock expires. The umpire tries to fight his way through the line so he can spot the ball. Everybody was stunned. Then this last Sunday, in the divisional round matchup, at least the Cowboys got past the wild card this year, 76 yards to go, time likely only one snap. McCarthy calls this goofy gadget play, and you saw what happened. Ezekiel Elliott at center, no supporting lineman, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and of course, after the game, McCarthy says, I don't want to get deep in, into detail on it because obviously that wasn't the plan. Well, what the hell was the plan, coach? You're the head coach. You're the one that Tom, you know, that uh, Jerry Jones says wants to coach for the next 29 years like Tom Landry. So if you don't want to elaborate on it, I will. Here we go. I have a few questions, coach. And, and, and so, since I'm not in Dallas and since I didn't attend the press conference, I'm just going to ask you through the airways because I know you listen to my show. Number one, why was the punt team not ready with 2.45 to go? Third and 10, Prescott sacked 2.45 on the clock, Dallas down seven points. Remember, there was a whole series of events that happened before we got to that goofy final play that Dallas looked so goofy on. I know I'm sorry I said the word goofy too many times. There were 2.45 left in the game, third and 10, Dallas down seven. Yet for some reason, it takes Mike McCarthy 10 seconds to motion the offense off the field with all the urgency of waiting in line at the DMV while you're trying to get your new license. You know how that goes, right? Everybody just failed at their job at that point. That hesitation on punting or maybe going for it at that point, frankly, in retrospect, maybe they should have gone for it. I know it was third and 10, but... Regardless, so much time passes. Judging by the time it took to switch units from your offense to your punt team, it doesn't seem like there was much communication. There was much for, you know, planning. Obviously, the execution was poor. So the punt unit finally comes on the field with 220. 
That's 25 seconds. Then another eight seconds. They wait eight more seconds to get the snap off. Follow me on this. Now it's down to 212. The Niners were a little slow in organizing their players. By the time they fair caught that punt, there was 205 left on the clock. 40 seconds to figure out you're not going to go for it. Get the punt team on the field. Get the punt off. 40 seconds. Here's why that's important. You think the Cowboys could have used that 40 seconds at the end of the game when they ran that goofy gadget play? So here's the deal. If you have any knowledge of the NFL, I covered the Lions for 10 years, offense and special teams regularly practice these quick punt situations all the time because when you get into that high leverage moment that could make or break a game and cost you a season perhaps, you've got to be able to execute it. And the truth of the matter is, if everything goes according to plan and everything is, you know, executed in a way that you practice, you maybe use 18 to 20 seconds, not 40, not 40. Second question I have, why is it so hard to properly get out of bounds? Now, you really can't discuss Dallas's final play because you need to talk about another waste of time on the Cowboys' final drive. Third and one at their own 15-yard line. Pass, uh, Prescott drops back, throws to Dalton Schultz. He's the tight end. Then he's hit by uh, the Niners cornerback, I think it was Shavarius Ward, and goes out of bounds. Here's why that's important. The Niners had the wherewithal to make that contact and force Schultz to take a step backward along the sideline. By doing so, by the NFL rules, the clock doesn't stop. Give it up to Greg Olson, the Fox Sports analyst who was on his game. He says, remember, you have to be going forward if you are contacted going out of bounds if you want the clock to stop, you've got to fight through that contact. Apparently, the Niners DB, Shivarius Ward, was aware of that. Apparently, Dalton Schultz was not. Great awareness by the Niners, another poor execution by the, by the uh, Cowboys. You know, now, I, I know it's really easy to armchair quarterback, but these, way, these guys are, 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 uh, are, are paid the big bucks, right? But then... Schultz goes out of bounds with 27 seconds left. Dallas snaps the ball the next play with about 19 seconds remaining. They lose eight more seconds. This kind of lack of awareness and, and low IQ, low football IQ seems to cost Dallas every year because, remember, there was a second pass caught, and Schultz couldn't get both feet down. Now, this is another question I have, and I'm not being funny here. Dallas lines up in that goofy formation to run that final ill-fated play, the Niners, what do they do? They get a look at it. They take a timeout. As our good buddy Jason Smith always says with Mike Harmon when he's he's doing his Marv Albert impression, they call a timeout. They want to talk about it, right? Well, they wanted to talk about it. So here's this end-of-game scenario, and it becomes a chess match. But when the timeout is completed and the game resumes, <laughs> Dallas lines up in the same identical formation. You, you think maybe they change it now? The Niners have an idea what they're going to do, and they're even anticipating who might get the ball. It was Ezekiel Elliott. And why was he at center in the first place? Why didn't the offensive lineman show any sense of hustle when the ball was thrown? Why did Prescott just stare him down the whole time and throw it so blatantly? I mean, obviously, all those things that set this final play up were issues that, of course, you know, work together in concert to cost Dallas their season. And they were in a situation on their own 24-yard line where they were nowhere near even being in a Hail Mary range or field goal range or any, any of those things. 
because of the final two minutes and 45 seconds, an absolute debacle a la the 1962 Mets. That's my comparison. People are, you know, people talked about that play the next day. A lot of, has anybody ever seen a thing like that? No. No one had ever seen anything like that. So Dallas continues to regress. Even in the wild card game last year, they were close to getting into field goal range. This time, they weren't even close to getting into the field goal range. So maybe the maybe the Cowboys can hire the late Choo Choo Coleman, former Met catcher, as part of their brain trust next year. Choo Choo was a beauty. He was a beauty. As a matter of fact, they had high hopes for him. And uh, at an interview once with a reporter, the reporter started to take a liking to Choo Choo Coleman as he was going to be the Met 62 catcher. And he says, so, Choo Choo, tell me about your wife. What's her name? What is she like? My wife named Miss Coleman, and she liked me. All right, case closed. Cowboys, can't wait to see what you got in store for us next year. Football fans, be sure to tune in to Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff, presented by BetMGM every Saturday and Sunday morning, three hours before kickoff. Tune in Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, as we take you live all the way to kickoff on Fox Sports Radio, the Heart Radio app, presented by BetMGM. Get your pens and pencils ready. You're going to be drinking through a fire hose. Coming up, the only two-time winner, back-to-back winner of the prestigious Hilton, now Westgate Super Contest, Steve Fezzik and the Fezzik Five. So I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios, the Tyrac.com Studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. This is Steve Cavino and Rich Davis, and together we are Cavino and Rich. Cavino and Rich. Thanks, buddy. Uh, that's right. Cavino and Rich, Fox Sports Radio's newest hit show. Heard weekdays from 5 to 7 Eastern, 2 to 4 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Every Cavino and Rich show is available as a podcast. Just search Covino and Rich wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. I'm such a rockin' dude. The show features our unique take on sports, injected with some fun, humor, and relatability. Listen to Covino and Rich five days a week on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Covino and Rich, give me a hell yeah. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. 
Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. All right, back on the Bernie Fratto Show, coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio TireRack.com studios. At this time during football season, you know them, you love them, you can't live without them. You get your pens and pencils ready. You're going to be drinking through a fire hose. The only two-time winner, back-to-back winner of the prestigious Hilton uh, Westgate Super Contest. It's time for Steve Fezzik and the Fezzik Five. The time is now. It's the Fezzik Five. These are the five things you need to hear about now. With the only back-to-back Hilton Super Contest winner, Steve Fezzik. Here's Bernie Fratto. Fez, how are you? Three games left in the uh, National Football League for this season. And uh, 12 and a half hours, we kick off in Philadelphia. Uh, And before we get to the individual strategies for betting each team, uh, you saw how the Cowboys season ended this year. You saw how the Cowboys' season ended last year. Does that affect your thoughts going into the 2023 season, potential futures bets, team totals bets, things of this nature? It does. The, I mean, the, the wise guys don't like McCarthy as a coach, and we're right. not, we don't feel Dak as a clutch quarterback in any way, shape, or form. However, you know, the Cowboys have a very solid roster and all that talent, and because of that, it's hard to go against them in terms of the season win market, but not even with your money, Bernie, would I ever want to invest on Dallas <laughs> to win the Super Bowl, etc. Well, and I had to take my medicine. I thought they'd be under 10.5 wins this year, so I let them off the hook, gave them credit where credit is due, but uh, in the open, I, uh, corrected, I corrected the record. So, uh, And before, again, we get into each individual team, and I know you'll be granular in terms of your thoughts on conference championship games, I have a quick question about each game. So we both know, Fez, the Bengals, the Bengals have beaten the Chiefs three times in 13 months. The Chiefs led heading into the fourth quarter, all four of those ga- all three of those games. But uh, the Bengals outscored Kansas City by 18 cumulative points in the fourth quarter to pull those games out. Does that affect your handicap heading into Sunday? Certainly. The defense of the Bengals and their coordinator have made some great adjustments in the second half, so we have to be aware of that. Um, But, you know, the bottom line is the Bengals did win all three games by three points. Statistically, they probably should have won the first and the third game by three. The second one, that's the the crazy game Kansas City had the big lead and they blew it in the red zone at the end of the first half and ultimately cost them the AFC Championship. You could make a case. Casey probably should have won that game by a couple points, or certainly it was played evenly. So it hasn't it's three and zero Bengals, but it hasn't been any sort of domination, Bernie. Patrick Mahomes, he's got a high ankle sprain. He's gonna play, but you and I both know. I don't see how he can possibly have the same kind of mobility, the ability to glide, maneuver in the pocket, sidestep, make plays off schedule. Does that affect your handicap? Of course, and I have no idea whether Mahomes is 44%, 78%, 83%. You tell me. I'm sure someone knows. Um, maybe, <laughs> well, maybe they don't. Maybe no even the Chiefs don't know. You're you not going to know until the game starts. And you're exactly. Not gonna know. And that's, 
That's why live wagering is so important, to be able to wager once your eyes can go ahead and tell you. All I can tell you is that with 100% Mahomes, which obviously doesn't exist in this game, KC, I make minus five. If Mahomes is completely shot or Henny has to play, I make KC plus three. So the wow. line is is right between the two, you know. So it's basically saying Mahomes is much better than, you know, you know, being at a Henny level, but nowhere close to where he normally is. All right, I want to continue on with this sort of rapid-fire Larry King-type questioning. Fez, the 49ers secondary has allowed more 50-yard-plus pass plays than any other team in the National Football League this season, in spite of having a great defense. Does that affect your handicap when you consider Philly's got a bevy of great receivers? Sure, and I think Philly also is very well coached, and they're not going to just you know, run into a concrete wall. They are, in my opinion, um, going to go ahead and test San Francisco through the year. So I don't, I don't think – like this is an example. McCarthy's a bad coach. Why? Because it like established the run. It's like, no, that's nonsense. We don't need to establish anything. We're going to attack what's weak. And I think that the Eagles, um, because of that, if you're looking at prop betting, uh, you could probably look at Hertz over, and I'm sorry, I don't have the number in front of me, in terms of his attempts and probably not look towards playing, you know, Eagles players over in rush yards, et cetera. Fez, one of the only bets I've fired on so far is the under in Brock Purdy's passing yards. It's currently 221. When the Eagles have faced a quarterback and the opposing quarterback's prop total in passing yards is 220 yards or more, 15-1 and one to the under. What are your thoughts on that wager for Sunday? I'd certainly endorse it. And what's really nice about that is that the Eagles were 14-3, and three, Bernie. So think about this. The Eagles have murdered people in the first half as well. So their opponent, the opposing quarterback, has had to throw – to come from behind, and despite that, they still aren't getting to 221. So if it's a close game, you know the 49ers are going to play this one close to the vest and try to control the game that worked against Dallas and turn over their great defense, not make any mistakes. I think that that is a solid wager, Purdy, under the 221. And in the Eagles' only three losses in each of those games, they were out-yarded on the ground by their opposition. Do you think that trend continues Sunday? If San Francisco and Christian McCaffrey gain more yards on the ground than Philadelphia, do you think they win? Yeah, but it's not predictive in any way, shape, or form because whoever has the lead runs the ball more in the second half, and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that's one of the most... There used to be a lot of trends that said if you outgain your opponent on the on the ground by 80 yards, you know you co- you cover and you win 80 percent of the time. Well, of course you do because if, if you're up 10 points, then you run the ball 14 times of your 17 plays in the in the in the fourth Good, quarter. Excellent point. Yeah, contextualize that well. Of course, it it didn't help that Philadelphia turned the ball over four times in their loss to the Commandos, as you like to call them. Finally, since 1970, Fez. In the conference championship round, teams teams who have allowed fewer points defensively than their opponent, 68 and 36 straight up, the 49ers allowed 67 fewer points in Philadelphia this year, Cincinnati 47 fewer points in Kansas City. Might that affect your handicap? No, don't care about what happened in 1970. It, it may as well have been flag football. This, the this modern is not a small era started. Sample. This is 104 games over 52 years. It, 
don't care. The NFL changed com- completely. In 1970, the average passing yards for teams was like 170 okay. yards per game. It, it's, the modern era, everything changed in 2012. So it, it would be like, I guess, maybe the best example I could give is that if you looked at like statistics on you know field goals kicking, for instance, you know you you, you would land on oh I got to play longest field goal under 46. This is the greatest wager of all time. Yeah, it, I don't know if that's a, that's a straw man argument, my friend. Um, I'll have to look up what straw man means. But the league, I do feel well, like the same with the NBA. It's like the, the NBA has completely changed. It. It's like trends regarding three-point shooting and the like, I think, no longer matter or were well, relevant back in the 80s. It's somewhat relevant. I don't want to dwell on it, but I will just say this. Uh, having covered the Lions, I know that if a defensive coordinator can make you one-dimensional, you're going to lose the game. So you've got to be able to pass and run. And typically when you're salting away a game, you've got to run at the end. But be that as it may, I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than you're giving it credit for, but let's not, let's not dwell on it. Okay, Fez, let's go team by team. Tell the folks how you will bet the Chiefs. Yes, and let, let me emphasize, I do not have all the answers. I'm just giving my opinion. So I most certainly, and not only can I be wrong, I will be wrong on some stuff, but I feel very confident in terms of betting basic strategy. So how do we bet the Chiefs, I think you asked me. Um, the narrative yes. is out. Mahomes is healthier than we thought. We're seeing money on Kansas City, so you're running out of time. If you want to get the best number on the Chiefs, I think the money's going to keep trickling in on Kansas City. Just when uh, the reports are, oh, you know, that, Bernie, you know they're going to say, oh, he's looking good in warm-ups. What are the Chiefs going to say? He's, he's barely able to walk. They're going to put his best foot <laughs> or ankle forward on the reports. It wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see the Chiefs go up to minus two to minus two and a half. So if you want to get the Chiefs, I would go ahead and back them right now. There's minus ones at the win, at win bet, at Atlantis. They're out there. Certainly a minus one and a half. Don't wait until right before kickoff and be laying two and a half with the masses on Kansas City. I also think another alternative way to bet the Chiefs uh, the Chiefs are going to, if, if they win the coin toss, they're going to defer. All right. I don't know what the Bengals are going to do if they win the coin toss. So where I'm going here is that. Um, it's more likely the Chiefs will start with the ball in the third quarter than the first quarter. So a Chiefs third quarter money line is certainly worthy of a potential investment as well. As you have always preached and you're spot on, get the best of the number. There's no one better at you than getting the, the you know, performing the best when it comes to closing line value. All right, coming up, Fitz is going to tell you how to bet Cincinnati, how to bet Philadelphia, and how to bet the 49ers, as well as some additional fodder. But first, let's go to our guy Kevin Wyatt with the latest. Hey, Bernie, we had Saturday NBA action, the biggest rivalry in the association, Lakers-Celtics in Boston. This one needed more than 48 minutes, and that's because as time was expiring in regulation, LeBron James went in for a layup attempt. James on the drive, gets in the paint, layup, missed it. And the game is over. Lakers furious, they thought he was fouled. Excuse me, and it's now overtime. LeBron James so upset. That was Mike Breen on the call with ABC as Dave McMenamin now reporting that the league has told the Lakers that that was the wrong call. LeBron James should have been able to go to the line to shoot a couple of free throws. The call was not made. The game went to overtime where Boston would eventually win it 125 to 121. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum with outstanding performances on Saturday night. 37 points for Jalen Brown. Tatum had 30. LeBron James for his part had 41 points, 9 rebounds and 8 assists. The 76ers won their 7th 
seventh game in a row, 126-119 over Denver. Joel Embiid making his MVP case as he had 47 points and 18 rebounds. Brooklyn defeated the New York Knicks, 122-115. Kyrie Irving had 32 points, 21 of those coming in the fourth quarter. Some player news as the Pacers agreed to a two-year extension with center Miles Turner. And in the NFL, the 49ers have elevated running back Tevin Coleman from the practice squad as running back Elijah Mitchell missed practice all week with a groin injury. ESPN reporting that Travis Kelsey in line to play Sunday against the Bengals. He had been listed as questionable after suffering back spasms in practice on Friday. College Hoops action. We had some upsets today as Oklahoma taking down the second-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide, 93-69. Number three, Houston, they had to come from behind to beat Cincinnati, 75-69. to Number four, Tennessee, they had an easy time of it against number 10, Texas, 82-71. to Number nine, Kansas, which has lost three straight games. They were able to snap that, winning at Kentucky, 77-68. to In overtime, Mississippi State upset number 11, TCU, 81-74. Missouri upsetting number 12, Iowa State, 78-74. 61. Creighton with a big win over number 13, Xavier, 84 to 67. Number 14, Gonzaga, they beat Portland on the road, 82-67. West Virginia beating number 15, Auburn, 80 to 77. Number 18, College of Charleston. They had a 20-game winning streak, but that was snapped as they Fall to Hofstra, 85-81. to Pitt defeated number 20, Miami, 71-68. Number 22, St. Mary's. Uh, they had a tough battle with uh, BYU, but they end up winning it at the buzzer. Number 24, Clemson won on a late three-point play at Florida State, 82-81. In the NHL, Florida won in overtime, 4-3 against Boston, 38, Boston, who's now 38-6-5. That's the first time Boston has lost two games in a row all season. The Islanders won in overtime, 2-1 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Back to you, Bernie. All right, thanks, Kevin. All right, back to our guy, Steve Fezzik, the Fezzik Five, the only two-time winner, back-to-back winner of the prestigious Hilton Now Westgate Super Contest. You just heard how he would advise how to bet uh, the Chiefs. Fez, let's jump to their opponent, the Cincinnati Bengals. How would you bet them? So no hurry with the Bengals because I expect that these, this spread is going to inflate slightly. Wait until right before the game starts and you probably catch a two and a half at that point. I don't think you're going to get a three, Bernie. Um, if you do want to tease the Bengals, well, then you're going to have to play it before 3.30, so right before noon Pacific. Um, if you want to tease them with San Francisco to the Bengals, the Bengals line will probably be up by noon uh, to two to two and a half, and you could certainly play the Wong teaser of get catching the six points from the two and a halves up to the eight and a halves. Um, I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm also okay with if you want to bet the Bengals to score first, because like I said, it's no lock, but they're more like Likely to start the game with the ball. Sure, good stuff. You have a way of uh, of being very clairvoyant in in these issues. Now, uh, and as soon as I get home, I'm gonna look that word up. By the way, Philly and the 49ers. We're gonna dive into it in a second here, but uh, just an observation, Fez. This is an interesting matchup. I fired on the under earlier in the week, 46 and a half. Uh, I thought I might even get a 47. So far, it's not showing up. Do you know why? Yeah, um, I think that it's 46 and a half as high as it's going to get. There's plenty okay. of sharp guys on the under, yep. including myself, that want 47. I ultimately just settled for the 49ers team total under 22 and a oh. half. I did play that. Um, but if I gun to my head, if I had to play the game total, I'm with you, Bernie. I like under. I think you've got two, you know, uh, very strong defenses here. And with a rookie quarterback, I think the Niners are going to be very conservative. And frankly, yes. Hurts isn't 100%. I could see conservatism 
them from an Eagles team. However, they, they will be throwing the ball. I just think they'll be short, shorter passes. Well, spot on, Fez. And let's remember that 49ers are very deliberate on offense. They only average about 61 plays per game. By the way, defensively, San Francisco won the turnover battle in 10 straight games this year, the last 10 games. And Philly, 70 sacks on the season, second best in the NFL was 55. I expect the defenses to show up in a big way. Having said that, how will you bet the Eagles on Sunday, Fez? So the money keeps matriculating in on the Eagles, especially on the East Coast. There's there's a a coastal difference here. So on the East Coast, it is getting very difficult to find the Eagles minus two and a half, Bernie. Uh, specifically, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's of the world are, are dealing this game minus two and a half with extra big minus 120. Um, if you look and, and you have enough outs on the West Coast, you can still easily get an Eagles minus two and a half, including at our very own South Point, which is open for business right now. Heck, if you go to Reno, which is a 49er town, Peppermill has the Eagles minus two. You know what? I think all those two and abs are, I'm not certain, but I think they're likely to disappear. I would, if you're in Vegas, I would drive over and I would bet the Eagles at the South Point that's open all night right now and lock in that minus two and a half. It would not surprise me if this game goes to two and a half extra big and even threes across the board by tomorrow. Good stuff, as in uh, along those lines. You know, you've already sort of teased this a bit. You like the 49ers team total Sunday. I think you mentioned it was 27? Uh, the 49ers team total is 22 and a half, so that's a way okay, to get good. at the Eagles. So that's yes. a way to bet on the Eagles is to bet the Niners. It's a way to bet on the Eagles defense, but the Niners team total under 22 and a half. However, if you like the Niners, um, similar to the Bengals, you got no worries at all. Sleep in. You should not be betting this game until 10 minutes before kickoff. I'm very confident plus threes are going to pop up and you'll be able to find a 49ers regardless of where you're at. Unless, of course, you may be at the Peppermill, uh, which is a 49er joint. Um, you're going to get plus three in the Niners. And how important is that plus three? I really want to emphasize. Um, if you're in a situation that the Eagles minus two and a half is a rock solid 55 percent bet. Um, which is as good as it gets usually for pros betting. As soon as you go to three, that Eagles minus two and a half bet, which was 55%, which was so good, becomes a break, not even a break even, it becomes a 50% bet that you're going to lose after paying the VIG on it. So you can see the difference. Your win percentage goes up by 5% by capturing that key hook on or off the three. And it really is the difference. Every other expert is asked, who do you like, the Niners or the Eagles? And it drives me crazy because I know lots of pro bettors burning and we all make a very good living and every single one of us would say the same thing you'd have to be out of your mind to lay three on the eagles at minus two and a half it is a-okay this is really master class stuff as i'm glad you brought it up because the last time both conference championship favorites were less than three point favorites were 1997 green bay was catching two and a half at san fran denver was catching two and a half at pitt Interestingly enough, both dogs, both road teams prevailed outright. Your thoughts, I think, how certain are you either one of those games gets to three? I am not confident at all that Kansas City gets to three. I think it gets to two and a half. And it's, it stops because there'd be a blurry, a flurry of money on the Bengals plus three from the wise guys. There was not going to be a flurry of money 
from the wise guys on plus three with the Niners. They're going to bet it, the Niners plus three, but you know what? There's plenty of other pros that want to lay two and a half on Philly. So this is a, a warring uh, faction of syndicates that the pro bettors are going to lay two and a half that like the Eagles, and the pro bettors that like the Niners are going to take three. But you know what, Bernie? It's going to ping pong back and forth in a bold prediction. What's the south point tomorrow? I will predict it goes back and forth at least three times yeah. between two and a half and three because that's the one book in the world that does not deal vigorous on their spread. They have to deal it at minus 110 each direction. So they have to, right now they're at two and a half. They'll get a blizzard of Eagle money and about 7 and 30 a.m. tomorrow. My prediction, Chris Andrews, the book director, is going to say go to three and then he'll start getting inundated with Niner money. Nice shout out to our good buddy Chris Andrews over at the South Point. Fez, two quick things. I want to close it by there's nobody better than props, understanding the science and art and math behind props. You're you're the best at it, uh, and of course, two weeks from tonight we'll do our award-winning fifth annual Super Bowl show where you'll you know you'll nail the prop concept. Before I get to that, I had a gentleman, Brandon, on Twitter, ask me a question: Can you share your thoughts on ten-point football teasers and seven-point basketball teasers? My quick response is: Those are not capitalized, not good bets. Let's hear your thoughts on those. Yeah, certainly the the basketball teaser is never good. The football teasers, I do believe. You need three teams, right? A three teams if you're going to. Yeah, the three team ten pointer. If if you've got, and this makes sense, if you've got three twelve and a half point favorites that you like, and you can tease them all down to to two minus two and a half, or twelve point or eleven and a half point favorites, I believe we can we can talk a little turkey, and it's possible to create some positive expectation wagers. But they're so few and far between that um, it's almost like finding a unicorn. I should be. I should clarify. We talk about our good buddy Chris Andrews. I can't say he's my good buddy because he does not allow me to bet at the South Point, and until he lets me wager there again, he is not my good buddy. Sorry. And that's why we have the great Steve Fezzik on because he tells it like it is. This is a gentleman that is uh, he is has, has been there, done that. And final thought, Fez. Do you have a prop you like Sunday for the peeps? Uh, you're good at this. Sure. Um, let's play Cincinnati Bengals to punt first. A little obscure, but it's out there. Minus 150. It's at Station Casino. Minus 150. Wow. It's at Bookmaker. Cincinnati Bengals to punt first. I'm not going to go into great detail why it's a good wager, but I like it quite a bit. All right. That's good enough for me. Fez, great stuff as always. Enjoy your Sunday. We'll see you back in two weeks for our Super Bowl extravaganza. Thank you so much. Take care, Bernie. That is Steve Fezzik, Fezzik 5, the only two-time winner, back-to-back winner of the Hilton, now prestigious uh, Westgate Super Contest. And I am telling you that is that is quite an accomplishment. Coming up, I want to clarify the Jim Harbaugh being interviewed by the Denver Broncos this week after he had already agreed to an extension to Michigan. Let me help you sort the manure from the Bad manure on that one, so you understand what's what's really taking place. The Bernie Frattle Show is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. I'm Bernie Frattle. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio TireRack.com studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Frattle Show on Fox Sports Radio. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're back on the Bernie Fratto Show. We're coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. Take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific. 6 a.m. Eastern, ton of stuff to get to, a much more detailed breakdown and analysis uh, of Sunday's NFL Championship Conference Championship Games, which kick off now just a little over 12 hours. I don't know if I'd want to call Brock Purdy Mr. Irrelevant anymore. By the way, it's a term of endearment. Later, we'll get a little bit into the history of Mr. Irrelevant, what it means, and with all the interviewing going on, what does it take to... Become an NFL coach. What does that interviewing process look like? I'll take you take you behind the scenes as, as well as some more data. Make a case for all four of the remaining teams to win the Super Bowl, and I've got plenty of receipts. So a ton of stuff to get. Of course, in the final hour, hey, what kind of brand-new fool are you and what my name, the dance sensation, sweep of the nation, as well as Chris Perfett's World of Soccer. So we've got it covered wall-to-wall here. We'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. All right, it was reported by Adam Schefter that Broncos owner Greg Penner flew to Michigan and interviewed Jim Harbaugh this last week. It's my understanding it happened Wednesday. I found about it, out about it Friday. Let's give this some context. Because Harbaugh had a Zoom interview with the Denver Broncos two weeks ago. Then subsequent to that, he met with Michigan's president, Santa Ono, and they agreed Harbaugh would stay. Harbaugh very enthusiastically said he's staying. And, of course, he even got a nice little extension to go with that. And this time I believe him. Harbaugh said his heart's at Michigan. It is for now because he thinks his team's loaded next year, and it is. They've got just about everybody back. They had a one-loss season, got to the playoffs second year in a row, beat Ohio State second year in a row, give the man his due. So here's what's interesting. Here's why I I throw a bit of a flag with all due respect to the reportage and the context with which that article was, was uh, published. See, the Broncos have interviewed – multiple candidates already uh, a lot uh, i mean uh sean payton and, uh, i think david shaw the former stanford coach uh dan quinn's in there somewhere D'Amico ryan's and and i was told three or four have already have already backed off they've said no we, we're really not interested here and for the record jim harbaugh even said 
uh, that not only was an offer not tendered Wednesday, but Harbaugh wouldn't have accepted an offer from Denver. So was this really an interview or was this really just due diligence? It seems to me that the new CEO for Denver, Greg Penner, and George Pate, the new GM, are trying things a little bit differently. And, okay, this is my impression. This is how I read this. This is merely how, what my interpretation, how I ascertain what took place, and this is what I think. It's due diligence. These aren't exit interviews because none of these guys have ever worked for the Broncos. But I think as part of their research, they're trying to understand and figure out how to move forward with who might be the next coach in Denver. And I've heard from a couple of people that there's some concern about who would ever take whoever would take the job and the Russell Wilson dynamic there. How problematic might that be? And you're coming to find out that it, it, the Broncos need a little bit more than just to be fixed at quarterback, even though their defense is pretty damn good. Through 12 games last year, they were allowing only 17 points a game. If they had averaged 19 points in regulation in those first 12 games, they'd have started out the season 10-2. and two. So I thought Denver might be a little closer than, you know, people think. Maybe not. For some reason, qualified names, people that could probably really do the job, it's my understanding, have informed Denver, thanks, but no thanks. And you have to ask yourself why. Denver eventually will get a good coach. It's not going to be Jim Harbaugh. And I think it deserves to be contextualized properly that Harbaugh was not fishing around again after finding out he was going to return to Michigan and get an extension. This was a situation where I think two grown men were having a talk and uh, the uh, CEO for Denver, Greg Pennard, was just on a fact-finding mission, and it's my understanding he interviewed the other candidates after the fact as well. So there you have it. Coming up, top of the hour, it's Medina Magic with Mark Medina. Keep it locked right here on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. That's right. You heard the man. The Bernie Fratter Show keeps rolling right along. My name is Bernie Fratter. We are coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. Tyrac.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. Tyrac.com, the way tire buying should be. We switch gears. We talk to our guy, and yes, it's that time. Without further ado, go to our guy, Mark Medina, NBA writer for NBA.com. He is our Fox Sports Radio NBA guru. Always plenty of grist for the mill. Plate is always full. Tonight is no different. Mark, another day, another donut. How are you, buddy? I am doing great. Much better than the Lakers, who are, I I think, still miffed with uh, the officiating this uh, crazy game against the Celtics. Well, that was going to be my lead, so uh, great minds think alike. Uh, Obviously, tell the folks what happened. We all saw the non-foul call, which I think, Mark, leads to a little bit bigger discussion. If the NBA is going to be serious about, you know, replay, when when is it appropriate to use and not use? I realize this was a non-call, so you can't challenge it. But tell the folks what happened. And look, the Lakers are twenty-three and twenty-seven. They need every you know when they can get. Yeah, well, look with, with the caveat that you know the Lakers had a chance to win in overtime. They didn't. They lost one twenty-five, one twenty-one to, to Boston. And you know Doc Rivers, the Sixers coach, has often said, "Hey, good teams don't allow outcomes to be decided by hand for yes. calls." Um, the, the Lakers uh, really got screwed on this end of the stick here because on the final play of regulation, LeBron James drove to the hoop. 
the game's tie with four seconds remain. It's very clear that Jason Tatum smacks him on the arm, and there's no whistle. And to your point about you know what can be done to change things, yeah, there there are challenge calls. But that uh, you only get so many of them a game, and then as far as review review calls go, that only happens when there is a foul call, not a no whistle. And so I think that you know, especially with uh, games in the final minutes, uh, they should all be up for review if it's contested, it could swing the outcome of the game. I think the second thing is that. You know, to Adam Silver's credit, the NBA commissioner, they, they've tried to establish more accountability with releasing these two-minute reports and, and all that. But I think that that perpetuates the frustration with teams that lose because it's like, well, nothing can be done after the fact. They do uh, evaluate officiating calls and, and accordingly. They, uh, you know, either reward or penalize officials as far as how – their playoff and finals assignments are. But, you know, I think Anthony Davis said something interesting where he called on, hey, if, if referees were fined for bad calls, maybe that would <laughs> help uh, change things. Uh, I'd be very interested to see what Adam Silver would think about that. Yeah, that, uh, that's a non-starter, but uh, thanks for checking in. Glad you <laughs> mentioned, glad you mentioned uh, uh, Anthony Davis. I was wrong. He's not only returned, he returned before February uh, 1st. The real question is how much of an impact is it really going to be when the heat gets hot and it's hard to breathe? Well, uh, it's an interesting question because no doubt, like, the Lakers are going to welcome his return. But, you know, Darvin Ham, the Lakers coach, was telling me the other day that he envisions that he's going to have to come off the bench in a limited workload for at least the next week or so. Um, And, you know, that's all subject to change. But if you connect the dots, you basically – can pencil in that Anthony Davis is going to come off the bench through this entire road trip this week with you know a back-to-back Monday and Tuesday against Brooklyn, New York, a game Thursday against Indiana, going back to his old stomping grounds on uh, against New Orleans next Saturday, um, and then after that maybe he starts, but we'll see. But I think it was an encouraging sign that he increased his workload. Uh, you know his first game. He had limited minutes, only playing 26. Against Boston, he played 34. So there, there clearly is a pathway, but he didn't have the same kind of dominance uh, that we were accustomed to seeing uh, pre-injury. I mean, he only had 16 points, 6 to 15 from the field. Um, you know, got in early foul trouble with four fouls. And so I think with that, there is going to be a work in progress, which is getting his timing and conditioning down. Uh, but given where the Lakers have been throughout the season, where, you know, outside of LeBron James, they're just clamoring for a consistent play and good talent, they'll obviously take Anthony Davis off the bench because the alternative could be a lot worse. Talking with Mark Medina. Medina Magic covers the NBA for Fox Sports Radio, among multiple other uh, modalities. So the Lakers did actually make a bit of a splash, if you want to call it that. They acquire Rui Hachimura from Washington. I liked him at Gonzaga, but if I'm being honest, he'd been on the trading block for weeks. His uh, role in Washington had diminished, and uh, he doesn't. He didn't start there. So it, how big of a, you know, I, and I realize it helps a little bit. He gives him a little bit of a big wing presence, 
but how much does that trade really help the Lakers? Yeah, well, I think you're being facetious when you say it's a splash. It's definitely not a splash. I mean, it's uh, right. it's barely even a move that will require you, know you, to, <laughs> require you to have a towel, right, to dry up. Oh, look, it's a good move. They didn't give up any uh, first-round picks. They gave up three second-rounders. Kendrick Nunn was not really providing much. Uh, he clearly was not the same player that he was in Miami. Uh, so, yeah, it's a net positive for, for all his warts of some of his offensive inconsistency with his scoring. Uh, you know, he can provide at least some of that, uh, which the Lakers have sorely lacked, as well as his defense. Now, you know, the Lakers are very well aware that his consistency is an issue, but they feel confident that because you have LeBron James, who's all about, you know, playing the right way and making the right play, that that can be a good influence, as well as the fact that, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis in particular are going to draw a lot of double teams, and they need those kind of floor spacers that can knock down a few shots. I mean, we're not talking Steph Curry. We're talking May, decent rotation guy that can make a few shots now and then. So, again, it doesn't dramatically change their picture as far as, uh, you know, what their ceiling is. But, yeah, it's definitely a net positive because Kendrick Nunn, wasn't really offering much and you know obviously in this season draft picks are useless mark uh we are closing in on february 9th a week from thursday we are told uh, that rob palenka is not done perhaps he still makes another run at bojan bogdanovich do you expect the lakers to make another move yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Rob Polenko on one hand said the work is not done, but when he when he was talking about his willingness to make a deal involving the draft picks, he said, "Look, uh, you know, the Lakers are all about uh, championships and nothing in between, and he doesn't believe in incremental growth." And so, knowing where the Lakers are, the fact that if they want to trade Russell Westbrook, they're going to have to include the picks. I don't think they make a blockbuster trade. I, I could see them making a trade that involves getting rid of Patrick Beverly because he's on an expiring contract, but really nothing else. And what Patrick Beverly will get will get a Uiachi Moore equivalent, like a, 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 a decent rotation player that can help positional needs, but nothing dramatic. Again, the success and failure is going to rely on LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing their mm-hmm. absolute best and being healthy. And what we've seen so far this season is they'll be competitive, but they've had uh, a lot of struggles staying healthy, and they've also had a lot of struggles winning games consistently. 32 games left. Uh, time is running out. Actually, I think the Lakers' mark are actually only maybe two players away from winning it all. The problem is those players are Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're a few uh, superstar players away. Unfortunately, they don't have those access to, to pull it off. So it could be rough sledding. Speaking of superstars, I say in air quotes, the Memphis Grizzles. 0-5 since the Shannon Sharp incident. What do you make of that? They are shook. They're scared of yes. them. Yes! <laughs> well, they're you know what? They, they found out when you get under the spotlight, maybe you're not quite as comfortable when you become, you know, the hunted versus the hunters. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. I, I know we like to joke about, hey, Shannon Sharp really shook them up. I don't think that has much to do with it, but I think – you hit on a really great point that uh, you become the haunted. They played some really good teams, you know, with Phoenix and Sacramento, Golden State, Minnesota. But uh, I think the Grizzlies have, uh, you know, I think shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, where, you know, they're a team that's been talking a lot of you-know-what. Oh, and when you're a team that hasn't accomplished much, that really 
ticks other teams off. So I know the Warriors, for example, they really bring a lot more energy to their specific games when they play Memphis because they want to shut them up after eliminating them in the playoffs last season. So, you know, I think it's good that they play with an edge. They're confident, not afraid. They have a lot of great young guys. They get along, but they seem to bring it up to an unnecessary notch. And as a result, uh, you know, when you aim at the king, you best not miss. And Nicely done. I, I think I think they did that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm that I'm not being facetious about that. They beat their chest, and to be fair, all five were road games. But when you're losing at Sacramento by 33, and I know it was a back-to-back, right? And to be fair, they played like five games in eight, nine days. But they've got Indiana at home Sunday. I'm watching that game. That'll be a referendum. And as you know, teams that come back from a long road trip in the NBA aren't always as sharp. Right? Yeah. They've got to do the, the home chores, you know, that whole that whole uh, narrative. Uh, speaking of frustration, we're talking with Mark Medina, by the way, uh, NBA.com, our Fox Sports Radio guru, covers it all. Uh, Steph Curry showed some frustration, and there's another team. They're 25-24. and 24. They've only won two more games than the Lakers, and you seems – it seems like you keep waiting for Golden State to figure it out. But uh, every time we think it's the uh, light at the end of a tunnel, it's another oncoming train. I, I don't, I, that was not a good look for Curry to do that. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm being overly critical. Yeah, um, I understand his frustration. I mean, Jordan Poole was ill-advised with this, uh, you know, three early in the shot clock when they had the lead. Um, you know, that's kind of basketball 101. You're disciplined with that. And I think that for much as we've seen Jordan Poole develop as a young player, he's also shown growing pains. And, you know, uh, at times not taking the right shot, but caring more about the highlights than anything else. So I think it was just a raw moment. Um, you know, look, it's not a good look when you throw a mouthpiece, and this yeah. isn't the first time. Uh, no, you know, yeah, he true, got ejected true. most notably in the 2016 NBA Finals. Right. He did that regular season game against Memphis in 2017. But, you know, I will say this. Steph Curry should know better because the the NBA advises – teams, you know, what officials will call ejections for, and that's one of them, and he has a history of that. But if I'm the officials, in that specific case, he wasn't throwing it any, at anyone in particular. Clearly it was a sign of him being frustrated with his teammate, not the officiating. I would have given him leeway, but to your point, Steph Curry should know better not to do that. But you know what? In that specific case, they wound up winning the game, so it could be a potential you know, learning moment for the better. They also came off a, a win against Toronto where Jonathan Kaminga, you know, shot really well from long distance. Um, but I think the big picture you really hit on well that, you know, right now they've seemed to turn a corner, but they very well could lay an egg uh, in Monday's game in Oklahoma City and next uh, Wednesday in Minnesota. This team has been predictably unpredictable, and we all know the reasons why. They're lean on the All-Stars, but they're not quite playing up to their capability with the exception of Steph Curry. The young guys have shown up and down growth, and the West is wide open, and I feel like all those storylines are going to continue to play out basically until the end of the season, and I don't know what the outcome is for all those different things. Well, i got to tell you, the thing about it is is that watching – there are lots of ways Curry could have reacted to that. And, the way, and he, again, he's done this before. This this seemed a little bit uh, a different in, in the sense that it spoke to a lot of pent-up, built-up frustration uh, that this team was. It, was. it was just metaphorical for me. Finally, as we head into uh, All-Star Week here coming around the corner, what are your thoughts? Is the, is, is the bloom off the rose in the NBA All-Star game? 
Well, uh, I think you can always make a case that the it always is because, you know, coaches will be the first to tell you it's some of the worst basketball you've seen. But I think, you know, basically since the 2020 All-Star game, I think it's gotten a lot better because, you know, they changed the format of the All-Star game where, you know, in the fourth quarter, it's, you know, they they – look at the accumulation of what the score is through three quarters, and then you have so many points that you have to reach, uh, you know, where it's a weighted score as opposed to just the traditional game. And so as a result of that, you might see the no defense and the highlight reels and everyone messing around for the first three quarters, but that last quarter, you know, uh, players' prides are at stake, and it, and it has made for captivating basketball. But again, yeah, if you're a coach and you're wanting to watch a clinic, uh, the all-star game is not where it's at. <laughs> hey, one last quickie. This is way out in left field. Uh, a gentleman uh, saying, uh, he just tweeted at me, Jusic, uh regarding the Lakers and Caps, he says, we need Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I know of no path that Dinwiddie could come to the Lakers, but that's why I've got you on. Yeah, I mean, I don't see the Dallas Mavericks uh, putting that deal together. Um, you know, I know that they don't want to just stand pat and all that, but um, I, I don't think the salaries match. And as far as, again, what the Lakers would have to give up, it would be draft picks. And again, the Lakers, I don't think, would view him as a fundamental player or a change, a player that fundamentally changes things. I mean, when you look at the Mavericks themselves, uh, he's a great supporting cast type yeah, they player, love but he's not a co-star to Luca. Well, no, but but what I understand, he's a great, and you'd know this better than me, a, a great a great clubhouse guy, a great teammate, hard worker, available, uh, does what he needs to do, averaging seventeen a game. He's he's a real contributor. Am I am I am I reading that right? Yeah, no, I mean, he's he, he's all about the right things. He's a great player, but uh, given where the Lakers are at, I mean, I don't think that the Mavs would take on Pat Beverly for Spencer Dinwiddie, number one. Uh, and then on the reverse, uh, they want to trade draft picks to get him because right. he's yeah. a great, you know, supporting cast type guy, but he is he's nowhere close to a number two type figure. Uh, in the NBA, so yeah, I don't think either side would like uh, would show much interest in making that trade happen, unless it was lopsided, and I don't think both teams would agree to that. Mark, uh, great stuff as always. Appreciate the comprehensive coverage and, and knowledge uh, on all things NBA, and soon we're actually heading into uh, what is you know our favorite part of the season, and that'll be the the playoffs. I just think the NBA has been a little overshadowed by the length of the NFL season now. It's longer than it ever has been. And then, of course, the Christmas Day games. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there's always debate. Uh, should, should they shorten the 82-game season? I mean, my I hunch is not. they'll never do that because Please. no party will take a pay cut. But, yeah, they have to figure out how do they make, you know, the, the season exciting. And then the season is exciting. But I think that compared to previous eras, the excitement around every single regular season game, it's just not the same. Maybe a toothpaste out of the tube because of how more sophisticated teams are managing their players in terms of health and availability, but they got to do something. And I don't think that in-season tournament is the answer. That scares me that that could happen, actually. But, yeah. you know, save that, save that for uh, down the road. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. I got a feeling that uh, – I don't have any inside information on this, but I, I got a feeling on Adam Silver, you know, he's studying the soccer model, and they're going to talk about it, right? I bet you they're going to talk about it in the next CBA. 
Yeah, I think it, I think it, there's a lot of momentum for it. But you know what? Yes. You did a great job teasing. Tune in to our next segment. We'll go deep into playing tournament. There you go, big fella. In-season tournament. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate it as always, man. I, I thank you. You too. That is Mark Medina, NBA.com, our Fox Sports radio guru. Coming up, could Aaron Rodgers be a New York Jet? We'll explain. By the way, the Bernie Fratto Show brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the TireAct.com studios here in Las Vegas. Keep it locked. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Back on the Bernie Fratto Show. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Tyrac.com studios, Fox Sports Radio. Take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. Could Aaron Rodgers be suiting up at the New York Jets next year? Now, I know he's he's doing it again. I got to think about it. I don't know if you're going to play. You're going to get 50 million bucks. Wish you wouldn't do this. But if he wants to play elsewhere, and, and this is increasingly on the table, expect the Jets, I believe, to be first in line. The Jets have a lot of things to love. They got a defense that's very good. They're good enough to be a contender. They're ready to win now. They're going to continue to improve. They got a breakout star receiver in Garrett Wilson. I think they'll improve their offensive line. And oh, by the way, let's not forget, Brees Hall will be back next year. Losing him, that was a huge loss. Jets started seven and three. When you start seven and three in the National Football League, you have an eighty-four percent chance of making the playoffs. But the wheels kind of came off. But you can see. This team is not far away. Plus, apparently Rodgers has a good relationship with Zach Wilson. Now, he's the Jets' sort of prized possession that has a chance to still make it or be a bust. So could Rodgers mentor Wilson for a year while helping him into the playoffs? See, because if the Jets fail to make the postseason next year, I think Robert Sala is going to be on the hot seat, and they know that. Now, the Jets will have some competition, and they're going to have to work a deal to trade for him. But it could happen. It could work. It could be a fit. What you have to be cognizant of is when you trade for a quarterback, be prepared to give up some capital. Even Matt Ryan, 37 years old, 
He got a, uh, the uh, Falcons got a third round pick for him. Obviously, the mother load was Russell Wilson, fourth round pick, two first round picks, two second round picks, a fifth rounder, plus Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fan. Oof, how'd that work out? See, that's where you got to be careful about these things. But I think the Jets are a damn good team and not that far away. I, with that defense, they're letting that defense waste. If they'd, The quarterback position is the one thing. But again, look what happened when the Texans traded Deshaun Watson. And they even traded a sixth-round pick but the, for the Browns, but they got three first-rounders, one third-rounder, and two fourth-round picks. Even Carson Wentz, who has nothing in the tank, commanded a second-round pick to the Commanders and two third-round picks. And, of course, a couple years ago, Matt Stafford, he went traded to the Rams for two first-rounders or a third-rounder, and they got Jared Goff. So based on that criteria, would it be surprising if Rodgers were traded for anything less than at least one first-round pick? We've got to remember, Rodgers is 39, and the Packers will take a $40 million cap hit if they trade him. That is another issue here. But how much does Rodgers actually have in the tank? I get, I, I get his skills are on the decline, which is understandable. Uh, he was an MVP in back-to-back -back years, but this past year threw for the fewest yards, only 3,700, in any season in which he played at least 15 games, also threw the most interceptions. Now, is that because he was dealing with a broken thumb, bad bad knee, injuries to his ribs, and a real, you know, raw, young, not great receiving crew that drop passes all the time? All right. I think maybe. Now, I'm not really a Rodgers fan anymore because I'm tired of his shenanigans. But the Jets, it feels like they need a quarterback. And if they just touch up their offensive line and bring in a quarterback who's been there, done that, and even has a relationship with Zach Wilson, listen, let's face it, it can make sense. Oh, by the way, remember back in 2008 when Brett Favre went there? It sort of kind of worked. Deja Vu all over again. I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's why this is so much fun because even after Sunday's games and the Super Bowl in two weeks, well, still going to have the quarterback carousel and OTAs in the draft. The NFL stays in the news. Uh, this is what I'm watching, though. Just for the pure storyline of it, I love to see actually Rodgers go to the Jets. I think they're kind of done in Green Bay there. They had their shot this year. Green Bay's got to retool with younger talent, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to hang around for that. Coming up, coming up, you want to be an NFL head coach? Take you behind the scenes of what it looks like for the interviewing process. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. And before we go any further, let's go to our guy, Kevin Wired, with the latest. Hey, Bernie, got some uh, player news regarding Sunday's uh, championship game action. ESPN okay. reporting Travis Kelsey is in line to play Sunday against the Bengals. Really not much of a surprise. What there. a shock. Yeah, what a he was listed as questionable because he had back spasms in practice on Friday, but uh, the way things are going, it looks like uh, he is uh, going you to You ever play. heard of Tor at all? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll be there. Go ahead. The 49ers have elevated running back Tevin Coleman from the practice squad, and that's because Elijah Mitchell, he's had a groin injury. He missed practice all week, so uh, Tevin Coleman, a little insurance for the 49ers in the game against the Eagles. As for the NBA, big rivalry game between the Celtics and Lakers. This one needed more than 48 minutes and went to overtime, and that was largely, actually entirely, because there was a controversial non-call in the LeBron James layup attempt as time expired in regulation, and that went to overtime because of it where the Lakers or excuse me where the Celtics win it 125-121 this is what Lakers head coach Darvin Ham had to say after the game as much as you try not to put it on officiating it's becoming increasingly difficult there yeah there's a bunch of stuff we could have did better in this game but for the most part we competed our behinds off uh, played the right way 
And it has been reported that the league has confirmed to the Lakers that, indeed, the wrong call was made at the end of regulation. Other NBA action on Saturday. The 76ers make it seven in a row as they beat the Denver Nuggets, 126-119. Joel Embiid making his MVP case. He had 47 points and 18 rebounds on Saturday. The Brooklyn Nets beat the New York Knicks, 122-115, as Kyrie Irving had 21 points in the fourth quarter. The Pacers have agreed to a two-year contract extension with center Miles Turner. And in college basketball, it was an eventful day. We saw several ranked teams lose, including the number two team in the country. The Alabama Crimson Tide taken down by Oklahoma, 93-69. to Number three, Houston, uh, they really had to battle back and be, uh, come from behind to beat Cincinnati, 75-69. Number four, Tennessee seemed to have the easiest time of it as they cruised past number 10, Texas, 82-71. to Number nine, Kansas, uh, they're able to stop the bleeding and end their three-game losing streak by beating Kentucky 77-68. Overtime as it is what it took as Mississippi State upset number 11, TCU, 81-74. Missouri beat number 12, Iowa State, 78-61. Number 13, Xavier, another ranked team to fall on Saturday as they lose to Creighton, 84-67. Number 14, Gonzaga winning at Portland, 82-67. West Virginia toppled number 15, Auburn, 80-70. Number 18, College of Charleston. They had a 20-game winning streak, the longest winning streak in Division I, but that comes to an end on Saturday, losing to Hofstra, 85-81. Number 20, Miami, also losing the fall to pit, 71-68. Number 22, St. Mary's. They escape in Provo against BYU. They had a buzzer beater at the end to beat the Cougars at the Marriott Center. Number 24, Clemson, won on a late three-pointer. Three-point play, excuse me, at Florida State, 82-81. to In the NHL, Florida winning in overtime 4-3 against the Boston Bruins as they are now 38-6-5 on the season. It's the first time this season that the Bruins have lost two games in a row. The New York Islanders won in overtime against the Vegas Golden Knights 2-1. Back to you, Bernie. All right, thanks, Kevin. So, obviously, there are still multiple in uh, NFL uh head coaching openings that have yet to be uh, spoken for, as it were. Only one coach has been hired, Frank Reich, hired by the Carolina Panthers last week. And so you've still got, you know, multiple teams in the mix, including the Denver Broncos we talked about earlier. So here's the deal. You want to be an NFL head coach, do you? You want to be the CEO of the team? At some point, you're going to have to show a lot of things, that you can evaluate the current roster, that you can talk about draft philosophy, how you will assemble a staff, plus your offensive philosophy, defensive philosophy, so on. But see, here's the, there, there's an old saying, all business is show business. And when you interview, especially for an NFL head coaching job, which could be an all-day deal for the starters, you're on stage. And long before the introductory press conference, NFL coaches, they got to endure this process. It's fairly grueling. So here's what goes on behind closed doors. And a typical NFL first interview that's a serious interview you'll be facing five you know four or five team executives they'll be sitting around a conference table they introduce themselves they give you their names they briefly give you their backgrounds and then you get down to business and what's the first thing most teams want to know because remember you're only taking over a job where they're not having success you're only taking over a job where things probably are not great so a lot of times the first question is asked is how would you change the culture of the team that's how, for instance, the job interview began 
for one of the five teams in the market this year for a new head coach. And, you know, we're into January. And the, the, the bottom line is, you know, every interview is a little different. No two are exactly alike, not even between the candidates that are typically interviewing for the same team, but the objective is always the same. Over the course of 10, 12 hours and a few days, executives are trying to figure out if the person that's interviewing in front of them has what it takes to lead their football team. And there's more than just one meeting. There's phone calls. There's checking references. There's the candidate's on-field resume. They want to know what kind of, you know, success you've had in the past, what kind of receipts. But what happens in the interview can actually make or break a coach's career aspirations because if you really peek behind the closed doors and talk to people who sat on both sides of the interview table, the room can be, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a manipulation. It could be at the team's headquarters. It could be in a business office somewhere. Sometimes it's at an airport. Interviews sometimes are scheduled three or four-hour blocks, and you take a break, then you come back maybe five, six hours. It's not easy. There's hiring cycles, and in the candidates, when they make their presentations to the teams, the teams are definitely going to control the process. Make no mistake. And a lot of teams will, again, they'll ask about the culture. Another might open up, why do you think you should be the head coach of so-and-so? And one candidate once said, do we have a chance to win now? So it's not an easy situation. And team owners, they have to sell whoever they hire. Remember, we used to talk about this in Detroit. Whoever you hire, you still got to sell the press conference. And when I covered the Lions for 10 years, my goodness, we went through Wayne Fonts, Bobby Ross, uh, Gary Moeller, interim. Um, then Matt Millen came in and hired Marty Morningweg. Then Steve Mariucci. Then we finished up with Rod Marinelli. That was over a 10-year period. And they're all kind of different. And, and I think, you know, when he, the press conference always wasn't really sold. You'll never know if the locker room was sold. You never know if the fan base is really sold. Because what happens is when you start next season, you got to win. And Rod Marinelli went 0-16. Now, um, Charlie Cashley, the former Washington Redskins, when they were the Redskins, and Houston general manager, and he, by the way, he's on the NFL's career development advisory. He tells prospective head coaches, right, be prepared for one thing. How do you plan to win games? And what happens is when, you know, it's like you're hired as a lifeguard, right? They're going to throw me in the pool, and if you can't swim, everybody's going to know. You can't finesse this. You can't fake this. You're going to be found out. People will absolutely reveal themselves in the process. And, you know, if you basically, if you come in there and say, here's my vision for the team, I'm going to turn it over to the offensive coordinator, that shows you're not ready to be a head coach. If an offensive coordinator is interviewing for a head coaching job, you know, and you are not going to be decisive and you're going to dish it off like that, you're basically showing that you haven't, elevated yourself and graduated to the point to where you could be the CEO of a team. And uh, this is one, I'll tell you one key area that really trips up a lot of prospective NFL head coaching candidates. The most time typically they spend, they meaning the owners and executives that are interviewing the candidate, is going over a candidate's prospective staff. The coaching positions, they're always in flux this time of year. You're not, not always able to get the assistant you want. So candidates really have to present sort of a death chart, three or four deep, of their top choices at every position, from the coordinators to the position coaches to et cetera. And what's interesting is sometimes you'll find in your death chart 
the executives that are evaluating the coach interviewing and, and they're presenting their depth chart for each particular assistant job that they would they would you know arm their staff with some of those guys might be in disfavor with the ownership group that's interviewing see and this is one of the things charlie casserly talked about he said this you know how you assemble your staff how you interview and convince your potential future employer who your staff is going to be might be the single most important thing because it shows judgment everything in in the interview can be scripted but the staff shows judgment. And if you get the staff wrong, based on the culture, based on that team, based on their roster, executives have said, you, you're going to probably eliminate yourself. Another significant chunk of time you spend on player personnel. Not so much who you're going to cut or who you're going to clean up, or who, I mean, who you're going to fire, who you're going to hire. Who, but part of it is also understanding the salary cap issues. Even though it's the GM's job, but it's the coach's plan he's got to make it work with the players that are committed so it, you know it's all kinds of thing right it's 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 a multiple you know very much layered process with a lot of moving parts and a lot of situations that can eliminate potential coaches so you know you want to be an nfl head coach you better be prepared for a very grueling process because it's not enough just to be able to do the job you have to be able to show you can interview for the job. Coming up, Mr. Irrelevant, is it fair? I think it's a term of endearment. I'll tell you why. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio, Tyrock.com studios. Keep it locked. This is the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. Back on the Bernie Fratto Show, we're coming to you live from the Tyrock.com studios here in Las Vegas. We'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. We're just a little over 11 hours away from the resumption of the NFL playoffs. The conference championship round, I think this might be the most competitive. Well, certainly based on the betting line since 1997, neither team is laying more than a field goal. One of the teams quarterback by Brock Purdy, who has been affectionately called Mr. Irrelevant. Now, I don't think that's a put down. I think it's a term of endearment, but it's a, it's a little aged. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that when a lot of people hear why is Brock Purdy called Mr. Irrelevant, they're not 100% sure why. I'm going to tell you. So what does the term Mr. Irrelevant mean? There are festivities around it, by the way. And, 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 and you must know that this is nothing new. This started in 1976. And, and, and in the 1976 NFL draft, and every year since the 1976 NFL draft, the last pick in each year's draft has been given the title of Mr. Irrelevant. So it's already happened 45 times. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of guys that have held that title, some pretty good names. And it all started back in 76 when a gentleman, a very entrepreneurial guy by the name of Paul Salata, who had played football at USC and was a wide receiver, had a little time with the Indianapolis Colts. He began a series of events that were titled Irrelevant Week. And the last player picked in the draft, it would involve the, you know, the, he would, it would involve the player that would, that had been the last player picked in the draft, and he was given the title of Mr. Irrelevant and then invited to Newport Beach, California. And when it first started back in the 70s, um, you know, it was, it was really kind of an honor because there were all kinds of parades and parties, and it was a term of endearment. Uh, I, it was not an insult, not my humble opinion. You're drafted in the National Football League. I don't care if you're drafted last. That's saying something. 
So Solana did this for what, 35, 36 years, and then finally he turned it over to his daughter. And if you have watched the NFL draft on TV every year, you'll notice that his daughter took over in 2014. She announces the final pick. Now, the publicity surrounding the last pick grew to such a point that teams actually started to make an effort to make that selection. And in 1979, though, the Rams saw it a different way. They intentionally passed on the final selection, and, uh, and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers refused to do it as well. But then the commissioner at the time, Pete Rozelle, he forced the teams to pick, okay? And that created the situation of what was called the Salada Rule, and that prohibited teams from passing in order to get the final pick of the NFL draft. And look, let's go back to Brock Purdy. Come on, man. The dude is 8 no. And he may have not had the, you know, the greatest, most notable uh, career at Iowa State. Maybe that's why he's he was picked last. But, you know, since 1994, when the draft was officially moved to seven rounds, there have only been six, uh, six seven-round quarterbacks to ever even appear in a playoff game, much less win them. So when you consider what Purdy has done, a guy who started out as a third-string quarterback this year, behind Jimmy G and Trey Lance, and after Jimmy G's injury, Purdy comes in against the Dolphins, and they beat the Dolphins, the Niners, 33-17. to He became the first Mr. Irrelevant to throw a touchdown pass. Purdy's good. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. Yes, he's surrounded by talent. Yes, sometimes receivers are running wide open. But guess what? He hasn't fumbled it either, has he? He's shown mobility, the ability to slide, maneuver through the pocket, keep his uh, keep his. Uh, Eyes downfield, and I guess I, I realize he's not the greatest arm in NFL history, but he's got a good enough an arm to e- execute that offense. He's doing everything he needs to do. Quarterback is the most p- dependent position in the NFL. Let's make no mistake about that. You know, and you don't want your quarterback running around like a whirling dervish and getting hit. So when you when you consider Brock Purdy, aka Mister Irrelevant, and what he's doing, it's sensational considering he was the last player picked in the draft. But he's doing it in a way. That is producing wins. He's 8-0. By the way, uh, there have been other notable uh, Mr. Irrelevance names you would probably remember. Remember Ryan Suckup? Ryan Suckup, was a, he's a, he was a kicker the first time a player received the title, played in and won a Super Bowl. Suckup was the final pick of the 2009 NFL Draft. He kicked four extra points when the Bucks won 31-9. Smoked Kansas City a couple years ago. Um, Jim Finn was a fullback. He was not the first Mr. Irrelevant to win a Super Bowl. That went to Jim Finn back with the New York Giants in 2007. Marty Moore, a linebacker, Tyrone McGriff. There have been plenty of guys. And one of these days, maybe we'll go over some names. Maybe we'll do it next week. The bottom line is Mr. Irrelevant is a term of endearment in my view. So when you hear Rock Purdy called that, it's not an insult, especially if he goes to the Super Bowl. I'm Bernie Fratto. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Well, you heard the man. The Bernie Fratto Show keeps rolling right along. My name is Bernie Fratto. We are broadcasting live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. Tyrac.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection. Fast, free shipping, free ruin hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way 
tire buying should be. All right, we have got, I believe, the most competitive NFL conference uh, championship four-pack, as it were, since 1997. The last time both conference championship teams were less than three-point favorites was 1997. Green Bay was catching two-and-a-half against San Francisco. Denver was a two-and-a-half-point underdog at Pittsburgh. Interestingly enough, both Green Bay and Denver both won. They were both road teams. They were both dogs. They were both lower seeds. This speaks to the parity right now between these final four teams. And just look at the odds. The Eagles are the favorite to win the Super Bowl at plus 230, but the Bengals not far behind at plus 260. The Chiefs not far behind that at plus 280. And then the 49ers bring up the rear, not by much, plus 320. What that basically means is if you're going to bet the Eagles, you'd put up $100 and that would win you 230. That's not exactly long odds. So why will the Eagles win the Super Bowl? I'm going to take each of these four teams and tell you why they can win the Super Bowl. Start with the Eagles. Let's face it. They've been the best team in the National Football League all season. They started 8-0. They were the last unbeaten team standing. Yes, they lost that November Monday night game to Washington, which is really the only blemish all season with Jalen Hurts in the lineup. So with Jalen Hurts in the lineup, the Eagles are 15-1. and And even that night, that fateful Monday night game in Washington, it took four turnovers to do it. Speaking of turnovers... Typically, the Eagles don't really commit them. They only had four games all season with more than one turnover and just a total of six in the other 14 games. By the way, their defense, speaking of turnovers, they force at least one turnover in every game except for two. And when you look at the turnover differential, Philly only had a negative turnover differential five times all season. What's that? What, what am I trying to tell you? In addition to being incredibly talented, the Eagles take care of the ball. You take care of the ball, you win a lot of games. Eagles also have the most lethal rushing attack as long as Jalen Hurts is in the lineup. But it's not just a rushing attack. Philly can beat you through the air. Look at the receivers that the Eagles have. A.J. Brown, their top target. He had almost 100 yards, just over 95, in eight games this season. That's consistency. But you've also got Devontae Smith out of Alabama, who's been incredible, especially running after the catch. And when you've got two receivers that can hit 100 yards on any given day, all of a sudden you've got Dallas Goddard eating up all the remaining space in the middle of the field. The Eagles can beat you on the ground. They can beat you on the air. The Eagles can also beat you on defense. In a passing league, the Eagles' defense led the league in pass defense. They're, they're deep. They're tough. They're versatile. They have a very talented secondary and I would just say this, Philadelphia is a nightmare matchup for great passing teams. So you get an offense that can punish opponents with a physical rushing attack, a bruising rushing attack. You beat the tired defenses over the top with a passing game that's prolific. And, oh, yeah, the defense is built to take the pass away. That's quite a, that, that's quite a parlay. And let's give it up to the Eagles coaching staff because you've got multiple coordinators on each side of the ball that are already interviewing for head coaching jobs. That's a formula to win the Super Bowl. The Eagles are favored to win the Super Bowl. Does it mean they'll win it? Not necessarily. Why can the Bengals win the Super Bowl? Well, first of all, they were only a player or two from winning the whole damn thing last year, 
And they got better, in my opinion. That's not an opinion, by the way. That's not just, you know, a visual. The numbers say that this year's Cincinnati team is better on both sides of the ball. Who does it start with? Of course, it starts with Joe Cool, Joe Burrow. He built off a of last year's success, got even better this season. Remember, he was coming off the appendicitis. His knee still wasn't 100%. Still managed to reduce his sack rate this year. And as the season goes on, what does Burrow show you week in and week out? He's got a quick release. He's got decision-making that is par excellence, that is absolutely elite. That's why his efficiency is up. His play is consistent. He's even better in this year's playoffs than he was a year ago. Five and one. And, yes, the Bengals have the deepest, probably the most dangerous receiving core in the league. When you've got a Jamar Chase, when you've got a T. Higgins, when you've got a Tyler Boyd, look out. Deadly. And, by the way, I don't really necessarily want to hear about the offensive line. They had the same situation last year. You saw what you saw what they did in Kansas City, they meaning the Bengals. What do I mean by that? Burrow gets the ball out of his hands so damn fast, partly because they scheme for this. They run a lot of fade stop routes. They run a lot of quick hitters, a lot of screen passes. And if you have watched the evolution of the Cincinnati Bengals, at one time they were the most they, they were the past heaviest team in the league especially in neutral situations. But now, why can Cincinnati win the Super Bowl? Because they found a real rhythm. They found a play-calling rhythm. And, again, it allows Burrow to make quick decisions and dial things up at the line. But, see, the offense is versatile. It's battle-tested. Cincinnati had to face the league's third toughest schedule this past season. Now, one of the things that's not talked about, I think, nearly enough is the other side of the ball. That's the defense, headed up by Lou Anarumo, whose name you hear more and more and more. He's probably the biggest name on defense. Yeah, they may lack, you know, Cincinnati may lack star power and marquee names, but Lou Anarumo has proven the last couple of years to not only be an incredible game planner, he makes brilliant in-game adjustments. That's, you know, the, the, the Bengals have won 23 of the last 27 second halves against the spread, 6-0 and in playoff games, by allowing a, an average of just six points per second half against the league's top offenses. Now, I talked about this last night. The Bengals have beaten the Chiefs three times in 13 months. But Kansas City led each one of those games in the third quarter heading into the fourth quarter. But somehow Cincinnati managed to outscore Kansas City in the fourth quarter by a cumulative 18 points in those fourth quarters to prevail. That, to me, shows adjustments. That, to me, shows confidence. And, again, the Bengals don't have star names, but watch as you watch the game Sunday, watch guys like DJ Reader, who's an incredibly nasty run stuffer. You've probably already heard of Trey Hendrickson, and you saw Sam Hubbard uh, bumbling, rumbling, stumbling 98 yards in the decisive win over the Baltimore Ravens a couple weeks ago. This is an incredible pass-rushing duel. It's a physical pass-rushing duel. And Cincinnati's defense, when you add it all up, it's frankly greater than the sum of its parts, thanks to their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo. By the way, if you don't think Cincinnati can play when they don't have their best stuff, they actually won a playoff game in which they allowed nine sacks. The Bengals won another playoff game, this was last week, missing three offensive line starters. 
Cincinnati also won a playoff game in which the opponent was on the goal line late in the game, but they come back down from a 21-3 deficit in a playoff game. They actually showed the replay of that game. This was from last year against Kansas City. They showed that today on the NFL Network. In case you've forgotten, this isn't Cincinnati's first barbecue, okay? The Bengals consistently find ways to win playoff games. They got a quarterback who's playing as well as anybody, and they might have the most well-rounded roster in the playoffs. By the way, in the offseason, there were questions about whether the Bengals could tee it up and do it again or were they a one-hit wonder. I think they've answered that question. The Bengals currently plus 260 to win the Super Bowl. The Bengals, by the way, over the season versus their opponents, gave up 47 less points than their opponent, the Kansas City Chiefs, on Sunday. Now, why is that significant? Because since 1970, when you get to the NFC Conference Championship games, the teams who have given up fewer points win the game 68% of the time. Will that prevail on Sunday? I guess we're going to find out. So I've given you the reasons why the Eagles can win the Super Bowl. I've given you the reasons why the Bengals can win the Super Bowl. By the way, bottom of the hour after Kevin's update, I'm going to bring in Brandon and Kevin, and we're going to get their thoughts as well as to, A, who they think can win the Super Bowl or who they think will win the Super Bowl in advance to the promised land. And also, who are they rooting for to win the Super Bowl? But coming up, I'm going to talk about why. I'm going to make the same kind of Perry Mason case, why the 49ers can win the Super Bowl, and, of course, why the uh, just lost track. Why the Chiefs, why the Chiefs can win the Super Bowl. Let's not forget. How can I forget the Chiefs? The Chiefs are next in line in terms of being favored just behind Cincinnati and Philadelphia. Folks, uh, football fans, be sure to tune into Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff, presented by BetMGM every Saturday and Sunday morning, three hours before kickoff. Tune in Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. It will take you live all the way to kickoff on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app presented by BetMGM. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios, the Tyrac.com studios. Keep it locked right here. Don't go away. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, back on the Bernie Fratto Show, coming to you live. The Fox Sports Radio Tyrac.com studio is here in Las Vegas. Take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. Ton of stuff to get to. Top of the hour. The dance sensation sweeping the nation. What kind of brand new fool are you? Followed by what my name. And, of course, bottom of the hour after Kevin's update, we'll go to the guys and see what their thoughts are on the Super Bowl. Who do they want to win? Who they th- who they think is going to win? Right, so I made my case already for the Bengals and Eagles. Let's talk about the Chiefs. Why can the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? Well, come on. When you have Patrick Mahomes, you have a good chance to win the Super Bowl. That's why the Chiefs were favored to win the Super Bowl when the odds opened up last Sunday night, even with Mahomes in his ankle, you know, the size of a watermelon, a balloon. I mean, it was huge. But, hey, Malone, I mean, uh, Mahomes, he played through the pain Sunday. He's a gamer. Had a lot of several one-foot off-balance throws, a very gutsy win. I believe currently, my opinion, Patrick Mahomes is the most talented football player in the entire National Football League. Now, do I think he's going to have his full mobility Sunday? I don't. But look, people question the Chiefs at their own, at their own, you know, risk, as it were. 
Everybody said, not, well, no, that's not fair. Not everybody. I sure as hell didn't. After the Chiefs traded away Tyreek Hill last year, a lot of folks expected them to take a step back. They said, well, who's your go-to wide receiver? But what happened? The Chiefs' offense got better. They're actually more versatile. They're less predictable without Tyreek Hill. And let's face it, Travis Kelsey can be your WR1 at tight end, and uh, he's one catch short of the all-time playoff game record. This is a guy who clearly is part of the heart and soul of that offense. But here's what one of the things that has made the Chiefs so prolific offensively this year is because they've spread the wealth not just through the air but on the ground. They got a rookie running back named Isaiah Pacheco, who is an absolute beast power runner that's added this game dynamic that the Chiefs have uh, lacked the last few years. He finished top 10 in rushing DVOA, and in the last six weeks, Isaiah Pacheco really stepped up. You pair him up with Jarek McKinnon in the backfield, who's not only a tremendous receiving threat, he's a hell of a blocker. By the way, you still got plenty of talented receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, he'll bust up your zone. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he can stretch the field. Maybe not the same way Tyreek did, but then you got to Kadarius Toney, he's your gadget guy. But when you add it all up and put it into a blender, name a team who's more creative calling plays, especially on third down, which is the money down, and in the red zone, which is the money zone. They don't pay you to punt on third down. They pay you to get first downs. In the red zone, they don't pay you to get field goals. They pay you to get touchdowns. This is where the Chiefs remain lethal. And when the when Patrick Mahomes is that guy, he's a defensive coordinator's nightmare. Because you have to prepare two game plans for Patrick Mahomes. You have to prepare one game plan for the scheme that the Chiefs run. Then a second game plan for when that breaks down. Because the play is never over until it's completely over. Until you've taken it away and the whistle blows. Mahomes, Mahomes is always going to find ways to beat opponents whether he's on one leg or not, because he's got a little Harlem Globetrotter in him, and I see that in the most complimentary way. Because he can make the plays off schedule, he can make the plays off script, and he makes teams pay. Imagine playing a team where you have to really score more than 30 points to you know, to, to assure yourself a chance to win. You need a defense capable of you know, holding the Chiefs to 30 and then putting up 31. Now, there's a reason the Chiefs have been to five straight conference championship games, and I just explained why. And by the way, give it up to Andy Reid because their defenses have managed to step up pretty good in the playoffs. His defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo, they, they, they played one of their best games defensively. Yes, it was against the Jags. The Jags are a good team. Chris Jones is a menace on the line. And, uh, you know, and then, by the way, let's not forget, let's not – the Chiefs, you know, special teams weren't great this year, but over the past few years, Harrison Bucker, uh, Butker has been pretty good. All right. So finally, why can the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? Real simple. They've been here before. This is not their first barbecue. See what it did there? They got good barbecue in Cincinnati. I always get sick of that, that phraseology. It's not the first rodeo. Okay. I switch it up. Not the first barbecue. Fifth straight AFC championship game for Mahomes. And chance for the you know third Super Bowl in five years. So these guys are wily veterans, man. And as long as you got Mahomes, you got a shot to win the whole thing. So why would the Niners win the Super Bowl? Well, the Niners, they're 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 I say this in air quotes, they're the long shot plus three twenty. So hundred would bring you back three twenty if you bet the Niners. 
as far as the Chiefs, 100 to bring you back 280. But San Francisco has won, hello, 12 straight games. The margin of victory in those games is just under 13 points. And in only two of those wins were they under seven points, the proverbial one-score game. But during that 12-game stretch, the offense ranks second in rushing and first in passing. And when you couple that, you talk about complementary football, the Niners' defense ranks second in rushing and third in passing. You're top three in both sides of the ball. You're a pretty good football team. Now, I realize everybody keeps waiting for Brock Purdy to come back to earth, strike midnight, every cliche, but we have to accept the fact this is a guy who's 8-0. Their passing numbers look very similar to when you had Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Purdy won late against the Raiders. He's now won two playoff games. At some point, you got to stop asking if he's going to fail and asking why. Why do you expect him to fail when he hasn't done so in the span of almost a half of a regular season? Besides, the real spark on the 49ers, it doesn't necessarily fall on Brock Purdy's shoulder. Has there ever been a trade in the history of the National Football League in midseason that is anywhere near as prolifically productive as the trade for Christian McCaffrey. Before trading for McCaffrey, the 49 are the 49ers easy for me to say, the 49ers offense ranked 22nd. They were teetering on the bottom 10 possibility, and it was really kind of an ugly start for Kyle Shanahan's team with Trey Lance, let's be honest. They were 15th in passing and 26th in rushing. And then they got a little better. Jimmy G took over. But since McCaffrey joined the team, since McCaffrey joined the team, the Niners ranked first in passing, third in rushing. They haven't lost a single game. Let's flip to the defense. Have you seen a physical defense capable as the 49ers? And by the way, I, how, how can I forget this part? Let me digress. Let me rewind for just a second. When you look at the defenses that have to face the 49ers, you've got weapons galore, not just Christian McCaffrey. You've got George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. It looks like Debo Samuel is healthy. And by the way, not for nothing, the Niners, because of their tremendous offensive line, can pass protect with as well as anybody in the league. So it's elite pass protection, great receivers, phenomenal running game. Okay, let me come back to that nasty, crazy, physical, we're going to beat you up, we're going to come after you with bad intentions defense. Nick Bosa leads the charge. But you got guys like Fred Warner and Talanoa Hufunga. They can eliminate your, your, your opposing team stars and really kind of change the tenor of a game at any moment. San Francisco, there's no argument here. They have the league's best linebackers. This is a key weapon. Because they can stop the run and they can neutralize tight ends. And they, you know, they've got two great safeties, the 49ers. So this is by the way, I would say of the four teams, as prolific as, as the Niners offense has been, which I just laid out for you, they're probably the one team remaining in this tournament where their whole success starts with defense, not offense. The 49ers defense ranks top two in both drive and play success rate. These are big-time numbers. Now, they beat up on teams physically so bad that, believe it or not, every team San Francisco faced 
<laughs> this is this is an amazing stat. Look it up if you don't believe me. The 49ers were so physically imposing on their opponents this year and beat teams up so efficiently that every time a team played San Francisco, they lost their following game the next week. Now, give a lot of credit also to their defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, who was a finalist in Minnesota last year before pulling out, and the Vikings had a 31st-ranked defense. Vikings had a good year, but what might they have done with a better defense, right? I think he's going to get one, maybe two offers. Now, when it comes down to it, and I've watched pretty much every Niners game this year, I haven't really seen any opponent completely solve their defense and their offense, let alone both, over the last 12 games. The 49ers, they have the stars that the Bengals don't have in terms of guys, names you you may uh, notice and recognize, and they also have a pretty damn good coaching staff that puts them in position to succeed. By the way, you may have noticed in the three years of you know, the last two conference championships, when you don't have a line of three or more, the eventual Super Bowl winner that was at least a two-and-a-half-point underdog won in all three, and that's exactly where the Niners are heading into this weekend. So the only concern I have about the Niners, believe it or not, their secondary has given up more 50-yard pass plays than anybody else in the league. But maybe that's at the end when teams are trying to catch up and it's insignificant and they're funneling in and playing a prevent. Well, you know, just run the clock down defense because they're ahead by 13 points and time's running out. Be that as it may, there's your case for all four. Would it really surprise anybody if the Niners win it all? If the Eagles win it all? If the Chiefs win it all? If the Bengals win it all? No. Cannot wait. We're 10 and a half hours away from kickoff. So let's bring in the crew. Let's see who they think is going to win. And oh, more even more importantly, let's see who they'd like to win like to see win. I've already weighed in. I said this a month and a half ago, but that's when Buffalo was still alive and Minnesota was still alive and, well, the Bengals are still alive. I thought it might be kind of a nice change of pace. Just saying, just throwing it out there, if we had a first-time Super Bowl champion this year, we shall see. In this case, it would have to be the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll chop it up coming up. But first, let's go back to our guy Kevin Wyatt with the latest. A lot of hoops action on Saturday and in it. In the NBA, it was the big rivalry between the Celtics and Lakers in Boston. This game needed more than 48 minutes, and that's because of a controversial non-call at the end of regulation. James on the drive, gets in the paint, layup, missed it. And the game is over. Lakers furiously thought he was fouled. Excuse me, and it's now overtime. LeBron James so upset. Instead of going to the line for a couple of free throw attempts at the end of regulation, it ended up going to overtime where the Celtics win at 125 to 121. And for all that it's worth, the league did tell the Lakers after the game that that was indeed the wrong call. This is what head coach Darvin Ham had to say about it after the game. As much as you try not to put it on officiating, it's becoming increasingly difficult. There, Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff we could have did better in this game, but for the most part, we competed our behinds off, uh, played the right way. 76ers make it seven wins in a row as they beat the Denver Nuggets 126-119. to Brooklyn beating the New York Knicks in a battle of 
the Big Apple, 122 to 115. The Pacers have agreed to a two-year extension with center Miles Turner. And in the college ranks, we had some upsets. Second-ranked Alabama taken down by Oklahoma, 93-69. A couple of other top five teams had a better time of it. Number three, Houston also had their struggles, but they come back to beat Cincinnati, 75-69. Fourth-ranked Tennessee cruising past number 10, Texas, 82-71. to Number nine, Kansas able to stop the bleeding and end their three-game winning streak with a win at Kentucky 77-68. In overtime, Mississippi State upset number 11 TCU 81-74. Missouri upsetting number 12 Iowa State 78-61. And number 13 Xavier also falling victim, losing to Creighton 84-67. Gonzaga, number 14 Gonzaga beating Portland 82-67. West Virginia toppled number 15 Auburn 80-77. Number 18 Carlos of Charleston had a 20-game win streak and the longest win streak at the Division I level, and they lose to Hofstra at home 85-81. Pitt defeats number 20 Miami 71-68. Number 24 Clemson winning on a late three-point play at Florida State 82-81. In the NFL, some player news. ESPN reporting Travis Kelsey in line to play Sunday to no one's surprise. He had been listed as questionable after suffering back spasms in practice on Friday. 49ers elevated running back Tevin Coleman from the practice squad as running back Elijah Mitchell missing practice all week with a groin injury. Now back to you, Bernie. All right, thanks, Kevin. So you heard my breakdown. I made cases for the four remaining teams. So let's bring in the crew and see their thoughts. First, let's start with predictions. Uh, Brandon, let's start with you. I think these teams are evenly matched. All the numbers say that. So at the end of the day, who's the last team left standing in the Super Bowl? Well, I agree with you. Um, I would say from this point, I I think the Bengals, man. I think the Bengals are going to take it. Um, I think that the team, especially Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor, are really kind of like mad at the way the season ended of how they were kind of screwed over by the league for not being able to get the one seed obviously being a part mm. of that unfortunate game with the you know with the bills that sure. kind of cost them that but they've been playing with a fire in their eye especially like their last three games you know i know they were all except for the bills game kind of close but man they really really look good and uh you know their defense i know you mentioned last night their defense doesn't really have like a huge star on the team. I mean, it's kind of a bunch of guys like, you know, Eli Apple, Trey Anderson, which not a slight to them. They're good players, but but they just find ways to win. And yeah. they kind of just, you know, figure it out as they go and kind of they do a really good job of like feeling out the game. And I think that's kind of a team that, you know, the teams that kind of do win it. They're not really, you know, just the best team overall. Well, they kind of just find ways to win. What's in, and I, first of all, I agree with you. Uh, we talked about this earlier, and even last night. If the Chiefs advance, or check that, if the Bengals advance, you're going to have Joe Burrow matched up against Jalen Hurts. First time there, or Brock Purdy, a rookie. And I think that's going to matter. The Bengals being there last year, I think, could matter in a big way. Having said that, Kevin, your prediction. Of the four teams remaining, who do you expect to win the Super Bowl? I expect the Kansas City Chiefs just because they're the most complete team and with how well they played against the 49ers earlier this season. I mean, they were down at halftime or and they came back and had a huge second half and ended up blowing out the 49ers. So in that 
matchup that's already happened before this season. That's before Brock Purdy, I know, became the starting quarterback. But nonetheless, it was a very impressive showing by Kansas City with what they can do on offense. Defense isn't bad either. So I think because of that, they're my favorite. The Eagles have a great offense, but it's the first time with Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts that they've been this far. So the question is... Can they handle the moment? Can they handle the big-time game atmosphere? And uh, the 49ers, for their part, have actually uh, had success before. They went to the Super Bowl, what, three years ago, 20? Well, they lost, they lost to the Chiefs yes, in they February lost to the Chiefs. 2020. Yeah. So, but they still and have. They, and they led late. Yeah, go ahead. And they have experience. Brock Purdy, of course, being the rookie. But with the team that surrounds him, that defense they have, uh, I think that they can get by the Eagles, but uh, they'll end up falling to the Chiefs uh, in the Super Bowl again, just like uh, three years ago. Well, what's interesting, uh, you, both of you guys make a good case, the Chiefs are home Sunday. Let's not forget that. Can you imagine, and I, and I agree with uh, Brandon, that, that the, since he's got a chip on their shoulder, we know why. But, man, after the baloney that went down this past week with the Cincinnati mayor and Burrowhead Stadium and the paternity test, you know, Chris Jones walking out and the press conference saying, I'll see you in Burrowhead Stadium Sunday. You got to know the Chiefs are pissed, too. And they're home Sunday. That's why I can't wait to watch this game. It's it's really going to be sensational. And and I, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement that the team that advances from the AFC is going to win. But that, that's a conversation for a different day. Let's go back to Brandon. Okay, so we know you think Cincinnati's going to win. Who do you want to win? Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, okay. I kind of I am rooting for Cincinnati. Um, I just, yeah, I like Joe Burrow. He's, he's just a really cool player. I'd love to see him win it. Um, and then on the, you know, on the NFC side, I guess I would like to see the Niners win, kind of. Um, They've just kind of been there the past few years. If you could only pick and, one, if you could only pick one, you could yeah, win the, ba- magic- the Bengals. And the reason I say that, I like to see a first-time team do it, and I'd love yeah, it. Yeah, same. Love what, same. I, I love what Joe Burrow's doing, and he's doing what Matt Stafford couldn't do in Detroit, and Derek Carr couldn't. It, it, there's always excuses. Whoa, hell, what was the Bengals' record three days, three years ago? They were pathetic. One guy comes in and changes the entire culture, right? So, I, I, am I fair to assume, Brandon, that your Rooting interest is is rooted, Department of Redundancy Department, is rooted in the Joe Burrow factor. Yeah, it's rooted in that. And also, I mean, I, I said this last night, being a Bills fan, you know, it's just they were very respectful during the whole, uh, oh, yeah. you know, unfortunate situation. And, you know, even though the Bills lost to them, which which really is unfortunate, you know, I'd like to see them end up winning it because, you know, they're just a good good fan base, good organization. Yes. Um, you know, they've been talking a lot this week, but I mean, at the same time, I like how people are so focused on what Cincinnati's been saying and not focused on like Nick Sirianni basically playing to the camera uh, during the uh, game against the Giants. Uh, people are more concerned about, you know, what Eli Apple has had to say. <laughs> and by the way, let's not forget, should Cincinnati advance to the Super Bowl, this will be their fourth try. They lost an 82 to Joe Montana and the 49ers. They lost an 89 to Joe Montana and the 49ers. And then, of course, last year, they came very close to beating the Rams. They were leading in the fourth quarter. People make fun of the Vikings for losing four Super Bowls. I'm not one of them. I tip my cap to Buffalo for getting to four Super Bowls. I celebrate that. I don't condemn that. I think it's phenomenal. Cincinnati, would this would be their fourth Super Bowl. 
as well. Okay, uh, Kevin, you got the final word on this. Who do you want to see win the Super Bowl? Who I want to see is simple, and that's because of my boy, the pride of Humboldt State, Alex Kappa, plays for the Bengals. I know he's uh, injured during this playoff run, but I'm hoping that the Bengals can uh, win on Sunday and in two weeks. Hopefully he'll be healed enough, his ankle will be healed enough to play and uh, give my small little Division II school some attention on not just the national stage, but the world stage with how big the Super Bowl is. So just for that reason alone, uh, I actually uh, knew him when I went to school. We went to school at the same time. So I'd like to see someone I've personally known uh, in the big game, if at all possible. That would be pretty damn cool. I, I, yeah, I, I, why not? Alex, in Alex Kappa is not going to play, right? He's not going to play uh, today. We know why. Uh, he's been in the league a bit of time. He's about five years now, something like that. He was, I think, twenty nineteen was his rookie year. I'd like okay. to say, maybe twenty eighteen. I know he was in the he was with the Buccaneers during their Super Bowl. He was actually injured during that playoff run as well, which is why I, even more I want to see him uh, be able to play in the Super Bowl because he didn't get a chance to participate. Because I think he uh, he got injured in the wild card round that year, as I recall. So, again, purely for personal reasons, I want the Bengals to win because of Alex Kappa. Well, good stuff. And uh, being from California, the Humble State has actually a very respectable program uh, in the last, you know, three or four decades. Uh, they've actually had a couple dozen players drafted into the NFL. So, there you go. That would be kind of cool. So, we all have our personal rooting interests, and uh, I can certainly understand why. Coming up. Who is the real Jewel Cool? And how do these four final quarterbacks stack up to the real Jewel Cool? The Bernie Fratter Show is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Coming up. We break it down. The real Jewel Cool. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Tyrock.com studios here in Las Vegas. Keep it locked. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're back on the Bernie Fratto Show. We're coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. Top of the hour. Don't miss this. The Dan Sensation Sweep of the Nation. What kind of brand new fool are you? Followed uh, by What My Name. We will take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. A lot of stuff to get to. Talking a lot about the matchups Sunday. We are now just a little over 10 hours away. And the uh, first game, of course, Philadelphia and uh, uh, and and uh, San Francisco, followed by the primetime game, the Chiefs hosting the Bengals. Bengals with Joe Cool. And by the way, is that moniker deserved? Absolutely. He is Joe Cool. But the real Joe Cool has to involve a gentleman by the name of Joe Montana, who I think most people would make an argument is the greatest NFL quarterback of all time. When you consider... Okay, I, and it, maybe it's maybe it's Brady. I don't want to go down that road tonight. Brady's won seven Super Bowls, but Montana won all four Super Bowls in, in which he started. He was not only four and zero. He didn't throw a single interception in any of those games. Here's Joe Cool's stat line. He attempted, and again, this is in four games, four and zero. He was eighty three of one hundred and twenty two for just under. 1,200 passing yards. He had 11 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. Now, this is in the Super Bowl against another Super Bowl-caliber team. By the way, if you're scoring at home, and hopefully you are, that calculates to a passer rating of 128. Incredible. Now, the four quarterbacks that will be playing Sunday, all in their own right, have done some sensational things. And... Now, Jalen Hurts is the playoffs are still a little bit new to him. He's one and one as a starting quarterback in the playoffs. Thirty nine of sixty seven, four hundred and twelve yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, a passer rating of seventy eight point seven. But I actually there's I want to give Jalen Hurts credit, big time credit for something because the Forty ers have a streak of twenty seven straight games without allowing a rusher to surpass seventy yards on the ground. That includes the playoffs. We expect that to come to an end Sunday. Why? Because of Jalen Hurts. The Niners have struggled somewhat against mobile quarterbacks this past season. They didn't really see many this season. But in past seasons, they have. And that's why they were fifth in the NFL yards per rush for quarterbacks. So the bottom line is this. Jalen Hurts, in his own right, will make his own impression. Joe Burrow in the playoffs already in a very young career, 5-1, and one, He's completed 143 passes in 240 attempts for just under 1,600 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, very good. Passer rating of 98.4. Again, these are in the playoffs. Brock Purdy, bit of an outlier. This is his first year in the playoffs. It's his first year in the league. Yeah, he's a rookie. He's 2-0 in the playoffs already so far. He's attempted 59 passes. Completed 37, 546 yards. By the way, that's averaging almost nine yards per attempt, which proves he keeps his eyes downfield. Three touchdowns, not a single interception for Brock Purdy yet. There's a trivia question for you. He's the only quarterback in this playoff tournament and has never thrown an interception. He's got a QB rating of 109.9. Then, of course, Patrick Mahomes, a veteran of the playoffs, already had 12 playoff starts. Patrick Mahomes, 9-3 in the playoffs, 
302 passing yards. Check that. Way off on that. 3,600 passing yards in the playoffs. He's completed 302 passes for 400, uh, out of 453 for a passer rating of 106.2. All great accomplishments in their own right, but none can compare with the original one and only Joe Cool, Joe Montana. Four Super Bowls, 4-0, 11 touchdown passes, zero interceptions, a passer rating of 128, and a John Candy sighting while he was in the huddle. Google it. You'll see the story. Coming up, the Dan Sensation Sweep of the Nation. What my name and brand new fool. Keep it, keep it locked. This is the Bernie Fratto Show. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. That's right. You heard the man. It's that time of week. My name is Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios. And the Bernie Fratto Show keeps rolling right along. Tyrac.com will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. Tyrac.com, the way tire buying should be. Well, here we go, folks. The dance sensation sweep in the nation. You know, every week, every day around this great country of ours and certainly around the world, people do things that leave you scratching your head. Sometimes it's nefarious. Sometimes it's innocuous. But it's always annoying and funny. And it's always leaving us scratching our head and asking ourselves, what kind of brand new fool are you? What kind of fool? What kind of What kind of brand new fool are you? So we did this once before. This particular segment for my entry tonight is actually an encore. Somebody, multiple people actually reached out, wanted to hear this one again. So ladies and gentlemen, let me start by saying meet Ermanildo Castro of Seattle. Charges were filed last month against a gentleman who worked for Zalili Software. He was an engineer because he was accused of stealing more than $300,000 from the company involving a scheme which required software edits to their checkout page. What do I mean by this? So Castro started making these malicious edits about a year and a half ago, and there were three ways Castro stole from the company by editing uh, website customers that were buying products. He wrote a software code that applied a small percentage of the Lily customers' checkouts and sent all the shipping fees with those purchases to what he called a Stripe account that was controlled by Castro. That resulted in a profit of $110,000. Then Zulily began investigating the case. So Castro writes a replacement code that double charged certain customers for shipping and again sent the fee to another Stripe account, which Castro created, resulting in a theft of $151,000. Finally, he changed the prices on Zulily.com and bought the items for pennies on the dollar, which resulted in another $40,000. Add it all up, Castro stole $302,278.52. Faces all kind of counts, first-degree theft, first-degree identity theft. Here's the kicker. According to documents filed by the Seattle police, Ermanildo Valdez Castro told detectives his scheme was inspired by the similar one in the 1999 movie, wait for it, Office Space. Yes, you got it. You remember Office Space. Inatech, and he worked for a company called Inatech, and Peter, he hates his job. His two best friends are software engineers, Michael Bolton, 
You know, my life was great before that ass clown started winning Grammys. And Samir, they also hate in tech. They discover it's going to be downsized. They plant a virus in the banking system. So they take fractions of pennies on each financial operation. All of a sudden, they've siphoned off over 300000 You Watch the movie. If you haven't watched it, watch it again. Office Space from 1999. So what does Ermanolo Castro do? Creates a similar thing in real life. Steals over 302000 facing all kind of charges. All because he was inspired by the movie, yes, Office Space. Ermanildo, what kind of brand new fool are you? Brandon Trufel, you're up. All right, Bernie. Well, we're going to Britain for this story. So there are some engineers in Britain who are designing a new uh, toilet. And this toilet, <laughs> uh, it's called Slanty. So this particular toilet has the seat slanted downward at a 13-degree angle. Now, you're probably wondering, like, what is the purpose of this? Yeah. Well, Slanty is hoping to sell this to corporations so that employees will not go, will not take long bathroom breaks like they do and take advantage of, you know, company time. Now... I don't know about you, man, but I'm all for the little guy, and I think this is absolutely stupid. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so, basically the entire purpose of this thing is to make it so that after about five minutes, the person using the restroom becomes uncomfortable because all of their legs are shit, all of their, uh, their weight is shifted to their legs. So they're basically like, in this very awkward position, very uncomfortable position, and trying to use the bathroom so that people will not be on the bathroom for as long as they would at their work. Um, I think this is completely stupid. I think instead of doing this, companies should, I don't know, maybe just pay your employees more so that they feel more compelled to be a little more productive at work. I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but they write up all this BS stuff about how it's better for like the health because people won't be on the bathroom, for, won't be using the bathroom for as long because uh, it, they won't spread as many germs. Uh, they say it's a lot more sanitary because people won't be scrolling through their smartphones on the <laughs> toilet as much, which is completely unrelated to the situation. Like, just pay people more and they won't feel compelled to like steal money on company time. So. The inventors of Slanty, I just have to ask, what kind of brand new fool are you? Good stuff, Brandon. Uh, as far as I can tell, it's kind of a crappy idea. Oh, no. Nice. Stuff. I would have yeah, used no. a different word, but okay. Yeah, there we go. We don't want to get, we don't want to get uh, the FCC after us. But no, actually, what's, I mean, you did some good research there because I, I've actually seen this before when I did my research. I, I liked it not to use it, but 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 good stuff. And I, I, what's interesting is like you, you hit the, the point that makes it what kind of brand new fool. Is if, is if this is actually going to increase productivity. No, it's not at all. It's I, I, just, yeah, it's Come gonna on, make man. people like, if people are gonna find, people are gonna find more ways to waste time at work. Like they're gonna, they're gonna take longer smoke breaks, you know, they're gonna, you know, yeah. go out and do whatever. Uh, yeah, it's just it's you just know, so stupid. They actually uh, they asked uh, Bill Lumberg about it, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I'm gonna have to go ahead and disagree with you there." And, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, actually, Bernie in the comments, some people were saying like, "Oh, I guess I'll start bringing a crowbar to work," because they yeah. said if they would ever see this, they would break it. <laughs> 
All right, good stuff, Brandon. Kevin Wire, you know the drill. What do you got for us today? What well, kind of brand new fool? We are staying in the UK, and a couple of unidentified men were arrested because uh, police saw a suspicious vehicle, pulled them over, and I guess for one of these people, English wasn't his first language, so he wanted to open Google Translate to help his interaction with the police uh, go maybe smoothly. Well, as he pulled out his phone and turned on the screen, it showed video of his cannabis farm. That had over 600 uh, pounds or plants, I think, uh, being grown. Uh, They were properly arrested. But, yeah, they tried to uh, make everything go smoothly with Google Translate and ended up showing the video of his his big grow. So, uh, oops. Yeah, that's uh, that's a rough one there. All right, another rousing edition of what kind of brand new foolery. You got Slanty Torrance, the movie Office Space, and... uh, Maybe a little of the, uh, you know, the uh, the little the lettuce, right? The sticky icky. Uh, anyway, I can't think of more clever names for it. I used to know a bunch of clever names for that, uh, right? Uh, but good stuff, guys. So that, of course, allows us to segue into our second favorite uh, bit that we now lovingly call "What My Name." Got a lot of them tonight, guys. So we'll get the, we'll get the ball rolling. So earlier in the week, you heard Tom Brady yell at Jim Gray. And call him Scratchy. Well, guess what? There's actually a famous individual who gave Jim Gray the nickname Scratchy. What my name? Brandon Trufa. Um, Bobby Knight. Not bad. All right, I'm actually the one who gave Jim Gray the nickname Scratchy that Tom Brady called him on uh, on uh, the other day. Uh, Kevin Wire. What my name? Well, Jim Gray's the guy that athletes handpick for a softball interview, so I'm trying to think. Uh, LeBron James. A couple of good guesses. You're not going to believe it. It's actually Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson gave him that name. All right, college basketball is well underway. This is a tough one. You guys get this. This this would be pretty good. As a college basketball player, I'll, I'll give you a hint, at UCLA, I won more basketball games than any other college basketball player in history. Brandon Trufa, what my name? Kevin Love. Okay, not bad. Not Kevin Love. As a college basketball player at UCLA, I won more games than any other player in the history of college basketball. As a player, Kevin Wyatt, what my name? I'm guessing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You're, you're, you're not far in the air. You're right there. It's actually Larry Farmer. Larry Farmer. Jabbar probably would have, but when he played, freshman couldn't play. Couldn't play varsity. Interesting. All right. We just had recent Hall of Fame voting this week. Of all the players not in the Hall of Fame, I have played in more Major League Baseball All-Star games than any of them. Brandon Trufa, what my name? Can you repeat it, please? Sure. Of all the Major League Baseball players that are not in the Hall of Fame, I've played in more All-Star games than any of them. What my name? Barry Bonds. Not a bad guess, but no. Of all the Major League Baseball players that are not in the Hall of Fame, I have played in more All-Star games than any of them. Kevin Wyatt, what my name? Alex Rodriguez. Another good guess, but no. It's actually Pete Rose. Pete Rose. All right, moving right along. In the NFL this year, I actually missed five straight extra points over a two-game stretch. Brandon Trufa, what my name? Uh, Brett Maher? Got it. Uh, Back on track, guys. So now you'll get the ball rolling here. 
All right. The three-point shot is commonplace in NBA history, but I'm actually the individual who made the very first three-point shot in NBA history. Kevin Wyatt, what my name? I, I can't. I couldn't even begin to guess on that one. All right, no problem. The three-point shot is commonplace in the National Basketball Association. But back in 1979, I made the first ever three-point shot in NBA history. Brandon Trufa, what my name? I'm going to go with uh, Steph Curry. In 1979? Yeah, why not? Why not? I'm sorry. I give you an A for effort. It's actually Chris Ford. And if uh, Chris Ford was a, he was a good coach, too, I brought it up because he passed away this week. Good guy. Everybody loved him. But he made the first ever uh, three-point shot. All right. I turned eight. I'm, I'm a baseball announcer. I turned 89 on Thursday, and I have the distinction of calling Hank Aaron's final home run in 1976. Kevin Wyatt, what my name? Bob Euchre? Bam. You guys are out rolling now. There we go. There we go. All right, last one. I mentioned earlier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this coming up, why I think the running backs are going to be so impactful. Uh, we, we, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, Mahomes, and we're talking a lot about uh, Burrow. In that particular game, I'm going to tell you why I think the running backs will be so impactful. But uh, along those lines, I am the last running back to win the Super Bowl MVP for the game. Brandon Trufa, what my name? Um, Marshall Falk? Nope, but good, you guys coming up with the good names. All right. I am the last running back to win the Super Bowl MVP for the game. Kevin Wyatt, what my name? I'm trying to think. Last few Super Bowl winners. Ugh. I'm guessing Emmett Smith. Okay, not a bad guess. Can I get another guess? I think Go I ahead. got it. Go ahead. Why not? Terrell Davis? It is Terrell Davis. It is Terrell Davis. The judges pull out. All right, good job tonight, guys. These, these ones were a little tougher. Went into the cookie jar, you know? We were all over the map. Larry Farmer, Jack Nicholson, Pete Rose, Chris Ford. But, you know, you got them. You're Euchre. And Dr- so, good stuff. Another rousing edition of not only What My Name, but also... What kind of brand new fool are you? And I got to tell you, forgive me for this. I uh, whew, I can't get that slanty toilet out of my brain now. So, I don't know. Any, any suggestions, Brandon? I can't get that slanty toilet out of my brain. All right. I guess we'll just leave it right there. And time, those thoughts will dissipate. Coming up, a contrast in styles. Yes, I, I mentioned that. Although the quarterbacks are going to play a major role Sunday, why in the Chiefs game, the Chiefs-Bengals game, I believe the running backs are going to be prominent when the storyline is written following the game. The Bernie Frater Show is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive. Dot com. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas, so keep it locked. You're listening to the Bernie Fratto Show on Fox Sports Radio. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're back on the Bernie Fratto Show. Coming to you live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas. Fox Sports Radio, that's right. Motown bumper music. That's the way we do it here on the Bernie Fratto Show exclusively. Football fans, be sure to tune into Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff, presented by BetMGM every Saturday and Sunday morning, three hours before kickoff. Tune in Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern as we'll take you live all the way to kickoff on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app presented by BetMGM. We've got a couple of celebrity quarterbacks Sunday, no doubt about it particularly in the Chiefs-Bengals game. Yeah, you might have heard of them. Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. I mean, we've got this Burrowhead Stadium. Come on. Okay. I love it, but enough's enough. Here's the thing. I'm going to break up the party, and I'm going to make a prediction that the outcome Sunday might be decided not by the quarterbacks, but by the key figures in each team's backfield. Let's start with Kansas City. They got the duo of Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. They'll tee it up against Joe Mixon and Samaji Perrine. Now, there's no question the Chiefs have received major contributions this season from their running backs. One's a seventh-round draft choice, a rookie. The other's a nine-year veteran. Give it up to Isaiah Pacheco out of Rutgers. He's a badass. He's tough. He's physical. He's a beast. By the way, Jarek McKinnon can not only catch passes, he can block. McKinnon is a dual threat guy. Pacheco clearly has made the most out of his opportunity, right? So 2020, he, he, he's behind Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, who was a 2020 first rounder, but he was not really effective or not consistently effective. And he, he kept getting injured. So all of a sudden you bring in Pacheco and the boost he gave the chiefs down the stretch the fifth most rushing yards in the league, ran for over 640 yards the last seven weeks of the season. That's somebody really coming through with a stellar performance when the Chiefs needed it most. And remember, when Mahomes sustained his high ankle sprain that kept him out a majority of the second quarter, it was Isaiah Pacheco who was most instrumental in that Chad Henney, former Michigan quarterback Chad Henney, takes over on his own two-yard line. They go 98 yards on the field. Well, guess what? Isaiah Pacheco accounted for 57 yards of those on the ground, including catching a 39-yard pass. By the way, 
If you're scoring at home, and I hope you are, Pacheco finished the game with 101 yards from scrimmage, the most since week 11. He averaged almost eight yards a carry. Now, McKinnon had a little bit of a quiet day against Jacksonville. He ran for 25 yards and 11 carries. But let's also not forget that Jarek McKinnon played a major role down the stretch when Kansas City had that five-game winning streak to close out the regular season, and that allowed the Chiefs to claim the number one seed in the AFC. Consequently, McKinnon and Pacheco, and oh, by the way, McKinnon also scored eight touchdowns, seven coming through the air, and he's a running back. So when you consider this title match against Cincinnati on Sunday, Remember that back on December 4th, McKinnon also ran for 65 yards on 12 carries, caught some passes in that game. Again, Cincinnati won that game by a field goal. But when you look at the duel of McKinnon, who can block, catch passes out of the backfield, and, of course, Isaiah Pacheco, who's been an absolute physical beast, who look you up in the backfield, who's not afraid of contact, and who has been highly effective and clutch. And the, the bottom line is, we talk about Mahomes. We talk about Travis Kelsey. There is no Tyreek Hill. The running backs are going to be in the headlines Sunday. Meanwhile, let's not forget the Chiefs' opposition. The Bengals, The Bengals, I believe, they're going to be featuring, if you haven't been paying attention, a very imposing running back two of their own in Mixon and Perrine. Now, what's interesting, they have different skill sets, but they really complement each other quite nicely because – Samaje Perrine has been tremendous in pass protection and on third down, and that's key. Mixon was a big-time playmaker last week. He made a real statement against Buffalo. There was no question he talked about being really ticked off, how he, you know, he was tired of the reportage that 50,000 tickets would be sold. It's, if it was an automatic assumption in Atlanta that it was going to be Buffalo and Kansas City, and Mixon says, you know what, we'll just see about that. He had an, by the way, and, and, and look, the offensive line I thought fared well for Cincinnati last week. I, I give it up to Burrow because he gets the damn ball out of his hands and they scheme well for it. They run a lot of fade stop routes. They run a lot of quick hitters, screen passes. But give it up to Joe Mixon, too, because when you run the ball like that, you open up passing lanes. Mixon not only was effective on the ground, he led all players in rushing first downs. And the entire divisional round of all the teams averaged two and a half yards before contact per rush, that's pretty damn good. That means you're running the ball, you're getting hit, then you're carrying them another two and a half yards. What do I mean by that? That translates from perhaps a third down going to a fourth down to a third down moving the chains to a first down, and your, your offense stays on the field. These are not trivial, you know, pursuits. Wow, how did I come up with that from the game of the 80s? Now, Mixon carried the ball 20 times last week for 105 yards and a touchdown. And interestingly enough, it was only a second 100-yard rushing performance of the season. But the truth of the matter is he did it when it mattered most. And when you have a guy like Mixon who can take the pressure off the quarterback, you make chunk plays, you set a play-action pass, you control the clock, this is incredibly important at this point of the season. And again, I want to reestablish Samaji Perrine. He has established himself. As a rock-solid RB2, he does the dirty work, and he makes it look easy, but he makes his mark. And the defense combines as well. It's, it's, it's a team effort, but Perrine played a big-time starting role. 
uh, starring. Uh, no, let me let me back that up because also I want to re- I want to go back to that game in week thirteen where Cincinnati won twenty seven twenty four. You probably have forgotten. Perrine stepped up big in that game as well because Joe Mixon was inactive due to a concussion. Perrine carried the ball that time twenty one yards, one hundred six yards, caught six passes, forty nine yards, one hundred and fifty five yards for scrimmage. Not bad for a guy who wasn't even supposed to start that day. Again, this is an enticing showdown. Mahomes, Burrow, you get the drill. The Bengals have beaten them uh, three times in the last 13 months, all by a field goal. The Bengals trailed in the fourth quarter in all three, heading into the fourth quarter, outscored the Chiefs by cumulative 18 points in those fourth quarters to seal those victories. Where am I going with this? Don't be surprised when you go to bed Sunday night if when they write the headlines and the final and the storyline for the game between Cincinnati and uh, and Kansas City for the right to go to the Super Bowl and represent the AFC, that the running backs own the night. Coming up, the other football, Chris Perfett's World of Soccer. But first, let's go back to our guy Kevin Wyatt with the latest. Hey, Bernie, we had a lot of basketball action on Saturday. Big rivalry between the Lakers and Celtics in Boston. Went to overtime, and that's because at the end of regulation, LeBron James on a layup attempt. It looked like he was fouled, but there was no call made. The game would go to overtime where the Celtics win at 125-121, and the league has actually told the Lakers that indeed the wrong call was made at the end of regulation, but nothing really that can happen for it. So uh, the score does stand though in overtime. Celtics beating the Lakers 125 to 1 at 21. 76ers are now winners of seven straight as they beat the Denver Nuggets 126-119. Joel Embiid making his MVP case with a 47.18 rebound performance. And in the Battle of the Big Apple, it's the Nets beating the Knicks 122 to 115. Kyrie Irving with a huge fourth quarter, scoring 21 of his 32 points in the final period. The Pacers have agreed to a two-year contract extension with center Miles Turner. NFL News, ESPN reporting that Travis Kelsey in line to play Sunday against the Bengals. Of course, to no one's surprise, but he was listed as questionable on Friday's injury report after he suffered back spasms in Friday's practice. The 49ers have elevated running back Tevin Coleman from the practice squad. That's because Elijah Mitchell has missed practice all week with a groin injury. In college basketball, we had some upsets on the day as number two Alabama falling to Oklahoma, 93-69. Number three Houston had a fight from being down to come back to beat Cincinnati 75-69. Number four, Tennessee, an easier win against number 10, Texas, 82-71. Number nine, Kansas stops their three-game skid with a win against Kentucky, 77-68. Mississippi State takes down number 11, TCU, 81-74 in overtime. Number 12, Iowa State also losing. They fall to Missouri, 78-61. Same for number 13, Xavier. Creighton takes them down, 84-67. 14th rank, Gonzaga, winners at Portland, 82 267. Number 15, Auburn losing to West Virginia 80 to 77. Number 18, College of Charleston has their 20-game winning streak snapped in a loss to Hofstra 85-81. And Pitt defeated number 20 Miami 71 to 68. Back to you, Bernie. All right, Kevin. Yes, basketball is upon us. We'll be pivoting in that direction. One thing that's always upon us is the world of soccer. The World Cup has come and gone. But it won't be long till the next one's around the corner right here on North American soil. And in between, there's always plenty of stuff on the news. That's why we bring you this week, each time each time this week, Chris Perfett's World of Soccer. The greatest schools. I'm just saying, the most insane goal. 
the thrilling finishes. The international drama. El chicharito, chicharito, chicharito. Ahí, ahí la tiene Torrado. It's all here in this report from the world of soccer. So over the past weekend, Bernie, Bundesliga in Germany returned to action. They have returned to action quite later than their other European counterparts due to their schedule. But all eyes for me were on Borussia Dortmund. Since the restart here, Dortmund has taken on Augsburg and they've taken on Mainz. And in both cases, in a 4-3 victory over Augsburg and a 2-1 victory over Mainz, those game-winning goals were netted by Giovanni Reina, the American player. The very young man who has been celebrating over there by sticking his fingers in his ears. And this is important and this is interesting and this is very fascinating because if you will remember from the World Cup, Giovanni Reina did not get a lot of playing time. In fact, some matches he didn't even get to see the pitch at all. And there were rumors out that Greg Berhalter, the U.S. men's manager, the coach, had been at loggerheads with Giovanni Reina. And as we've since learned, apparently Apparently, Greg Berhalter at one point was even thinking of sending Giovanni home from the World Cup because of a lack of effort during training. The two were at loggerheads throughout the entire uh, World Cup. Giovanni Reina was visibly upset several times, and he just saw very little to no playing action. And it led us to a whole cascade from there. Shortly after the World Cup, we found a what appeared to be a blackmail scheme being run by Reina's parents, Claudio and his wife. And it it, it, it involved resurfacing an accusation that, that Greg Berhalter had been in a domestic violence incident back when he was a student at the University of North Carolina. Greg Berhalter is being investigated and it's cast a dark shadow over U.S. men's soccer. Well, while Gio Reyna continues to win in Germany and prove why he is one of the most electric American players out there, it seems to be that the adults in the conversation around this entire incident, this entire scandal, continue to reap the whirlwind of their actions. In this particular case, uh, Greg Berhalter, his contract with U.S. men ended at the end of 2022. He has not been renewed by the club as they continue to investigate him. And really, the U.S. men's is looking at a completely different look. However, the U.S. Federation president, Cindy Parlow Cohn, said that Greg, quote, Greg remains a candidate for the coach position. Across the rest of the U.S. men's team, sporting director Ernie Stewart is leaving the organization next month to pursue a opportunity with the Dutch club. And as we mentioned before, our general manager Brian McBride will also be leaving. It, it seems like a whole new turning of the leaf for the U.S. men's national team. So I don't it really expect Berhalter to really be a candidate in spite their words. Meanwhile, though, it's not all roses for the Reynos because Claudio Reyna has maybe suffered a consequence of his own for his this insane incident that has taken place. Claudio Reyna was the sporting director of Austin FC in the MLS, and we have been told that he is going to be transitioning into a technical advisor role, as announced by Major League Soccer on Thursday, which seems like a quite unique, I wouldn't even call it a lateral step, Bernie. It seems like a downward step. It's a very curious move. 
And if I am to put on my tinfoil hat here, it feels like one of those moves that might be a little bit of retaliation. Austin FC owner Anthony Precourt and the Austin FC coach Josh Wolf happen to both be very close friends of the Berhalters. So it, nothing here is really writ, but it is, seems like a continued fallout from, again, I have to reset the story that this was a parent of a soccer player threatening the coach of a team of a national team, not at some dysfunctional youth level, of a national team because his son wasn't getting playing time. And that 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 might have stemmed from the son not showing effort during practice, according to the coach. Honestly, Bernie, I've never seen anything like this in U.S. soccer before. And it's clear we are headed for very troubled waters, which basically amounts to a full reset after Thursday's news that the sporting director is gone, which now leaves uh, the U.S. team without a sporting director, without a coach, and without a general manager. Meanwhile, the player at the center of it all is there over in Germany winning games and putting his fingers in his ears, ignoring all the noise coming from around it. Well, Bernie, we're also past the halfway point for many European leagues here. The transfer window will close on Tuesday for groups like the Premier League and Syria. And there's a lot of moves that teams want to make and teams are trying to make. And it's coming at a time, though, where two teams and two leagues have both hit 50 points here at the halfway mark. I'm talking about Arsenal in the Premier League and Napoli in Italian Syria. But Arsenal is the more fascinating story. They just got knocked out of the FA Cup by Manchester City on a 1-0 in the round of 16. However, for them, the prize is winning the Premier League trophy, a title they have not held since 2004. A club with such beleaguered troubles that they were losing Adidas sponsorship money because they had failed to meet performances in their past standings in in past seasons that had earned ire from foreign presidents of other countries that were sponsoring their patches. And now suddenly here they are atop the table with five points separating them and juggernaut Manchester City. Now, Manchester City might have beat them in the FA Cup, but they are, have whatever goal scoring they were doing at the start of the year thanks to the unbelievable talents of Erling Holland, they have begun to cool off a little bit. While they have won their last two Premier League matches at home, the Manchester Derby against their rivals United was a 2-1 loss, and they lost the Carabao Cup 2-0 to bottom-of-the-table club Southampton. And their load isn't about to get any easier. They're going to continue in the FA Cup and soon enough we'll be back to Champions League as well. And they'll have that on their plate, chasing a Champions League title while also trying to chase down that five point uh, deficit that they need to make up against Arsenal. And what of the rest of the contenders? Manchester United happens to be sitting about 11 points back. They would be happy just to make the... Champions League for the first time in a very long time. However, they are looking to be buyers here ahead of the transfer windows closing. They picked up uh, Dutch player Wout Weghorst from Turkish club Besiktas on a loan that is, from what I've read, looks to be going to be permanent at some point. However, they might be adding another player on top of that here. Something to keep an eye out as the Red Devils struggle to claw back, and maybe they could go for the title. They're on the outside, though. And I did mention Napoli in Italy, and I wanted to mention them because 
They're at 50 points too. They happen to be 12 points clear of the ne- of the second team in Milan. In fact, everyone else from two to about six are within three points of each other there in Italy. And they're all basically clawing, I believe, for second, third, fourth place for Champions League. Why? Because Napoli has 16 wins. Most other clubs in Syria who are top contenders have only 11 or 12. Napoli has just been utterly decimating their opponents. However, their fans will will not be able to go and watch Napoli outside their home stadium because Napoli fans, along with Roma fans, earlier this month were handed a two-month ban by the Italian Federation from attending away games due to a brawl between supporters of the two clubs that ended up shutting down one of the main motorways in Italy. (laughs) Tough times for the ultras. And that's the world of soccer. There you have it, Christopher Fett's world of soccer. There is no shortage of news in the world of soccer. That's why we bring it to you. Coming up, we wrap up the show. Some odds and ends and some final thoughts as we head into the NFL Conference Championship Doubleheader Sunday kickoff just a little over nine hours away. I'm Bernie Fratter. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Tyrac.com studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to the Bernie Fratter Show on Fox Sports Radio. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're back on the Bernie Fratto Show. Wrapping it up. Coming live from the Tyrac.com studios here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. They have uh, been with me. Since 11 p.m. Pacific on Saturday night, Kevin Wired on the updates, Mark Ramsey, our technical producer, and, of course, Brandon Trufa. Great job, guys. Appreciate all the effort and teamwork. Remember, top of the hour, keep it locked right here. The one and only Andy Furman will take you through the next three hours getting you ready. We're just a little over nine hours away from kickoff, and what I would believe is our two very anticipated NFL Conference Championship games. The last time both Conference Championship favorites were less than a field goal favorite, you got to go back to 1997. Green Bay was catching two and a half against San Francisco. Denver was two and a half point underdog at Pittsburgh. Interestingly enough, both Green Bay and Denver, road teams, underdogs, lower seeds, won. 
If you're looking for angles, this is what makes this weekend so tough. Because when you consider the history, and you don't have a short sample, since 1970, there have been 104 playoff, 104 games played of this nature. And if you just bet on the team that allowed the fewest points between the two combatants, you'd win 67% of the time. San Francisco's allowed 67 points less this year than Philadelphia defensively, Cincinnati 47 points less than the Chiefs. But when you consider the 49ers secondary, has allowed more than more 50-yard pass plays than any other team in the league. Well, that gives you a little bit of pause because Philadelphia's got an incredibly talented group of wide receivers. Again, the Bengals. Incredible story the last couple years. They're no stranger to teeing it up against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Beating the Chiefs three times in the last 13 months. And Kansas City led each of those games in the third quarter. But Cincinnati outscored Kansas City in the, third, in the fourth quarter by 18 cumulative points to prevail in each of those games. Back to San Francisco, Philadelphia. You talk about a defensive struggle? Well, I don't know if it's going to be a defensive struggle. I bet the under of 46.5, I do believe defense will show up in a big way. Why? Because, look, San Francisco doesn't win 12 games in a row without playing some sick defense. And by the way, San Francisco has won the turnover battle their last 10 straight games. That's saying something. Philly, do they get after the quarterback? Yeah, they do. 70 sacks this season, leading the entire National Football League. Brock Purdy has not seen that kind of pressure. The second most in sacks this year, 55. Now, a couple things. In all three of Philadelphia's losses, they've been outgained on the ground. Can Christian McCaffrey do that? Because... He's been incredible, scoring a touchdown on eight straight games. Again, I don't think San Fran wants to get into a shootout. They only run 61 offensive plays a game. That's why I bet the under. The other thing I bet, and I'm not telling you what to do, I rarely bet player props, but in this particular case, I'm going to break my own rule. The, the, the best bet for me was the under of Brock Purdy passing yards, 221.5. Keep an eye on that. Now, why? First of all, I think San Fran is going to lean on the run. And, uh, you know, Philadelphia led the league in pass defense, only allowing about 179 yards per game while sacking the quarterback 70 times. Okay, so that gives you a clue right there. But here's what's interesting, and this is what got me on the Brock Purdy under passing yards, 221 and a half. In 16 games this year, the opposing team quarterback's prop total for passing yards was at least 221 in every one of those games, 15 and 1 the Eagles to the under, meaning that if your quarterback and the total was 221 yards or more, the Eagles 15-1 and one to the under. So I expect Brock Purdy to go under that passing yard. Does that mean I think the Niners are going to lose? Not necessarily. But I think it's going to be tough duty because the game's in Philadelphia. Gun to my head, I like Cincinnati and Philadelphia to advance to the Super Bowl. And I gave multiple reasons earlier in the show. These are going to be incredible games, very tightly contested, closely matched with veteran coaching staffs and great quarterbacks. That's going to do it for the Bernie Frater Show, but keep it locked. Because up next, the one and only Andy Furman on Fox Sports Radio. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote 